another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today, I have the whole usual crew. We've got Josh Torres. We're on the last month of 2023. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Glizio. So many more RPGs to play. Only one more week to get to them. And we have Chow Min Wu. Better pick a good one. I did so not. This this is the uh, the first December podcast for RPG site in the TetraCast, and this is the last regular published TetraCast of 2023. So, and the reason for that is because obviously we will record this podcast for you today, and we'll get it published by during the week. And next week, the crew here, plus uh, hopefully a lot of extended RPG site staff and contributors, will be recording our Game of the Year. 2023 podcast we'll record that next week but it likely won't be published until next year so in terms of on the listener side this will be the last published podcast of the year so of course we'll go into that uh, near the end of the podcast but it goes into say you know it's always a pleasure to hear all the feedback we thank you so much for listening all that uh and we're just for us it's just going to be we're going to be back next week recording anyway but we know for all of our listeners uh we will be absent throughout the uh, next week through the winter holidays and you will hear back from us uh in late december early january for the game of the year cast more details on that will come uh on the site so to stay tuned to our socials to our uh twitter feed um on the site itself etc etc and that'll be something that will be published uh new year's eve new year's day is usually when we get those up but as for this podcast this is basically our last regular chance to talk about rpgs that released in 2023 so there really yeah, isn't before key... before that like uh yeah, like I, I just I just want to extend like a, a massive thank you to like all of our listeners we've been getting a lot of messages throughout the week because spotify has released you know like all the most listened things you've done for uh, in the year and we've gotten a lot of uh messages saying hey you know i got i got my results back and like i listen to you guys a lot and we've been you know ranked for some people as like their most listened uh podcast on spotify and that's just incredibly humbling and just we're just forever grateful for our listeners. You know, we don't, you know, we, we kind of do this partially for us, but, you know, mostly for uh, people as well, just, you know, kind of having a voice for the for the site and kind of just sharing, you know, things that we, we enjoy at, uh, on the site, you know. So it's been just, once again, thank you so much to everyone who listens to us. That's just so, that's amazing, you know. We, we, we don't go into this expecting, like, a crazy amount of listeners. Or anything we're just here just like you know just to have fun and you know we're glad that you're you're part of the ride yeah in a lot of ways this podcast really is a hobbyist endeavor we do this because we enjoy it we like seeing the the feedback that we get we like getting a chance to discuss the games i kind of think it helps round out at least from my personal opinion my opinion on games that i normally wouldn't try being able to talk with all you guys here on the podcast and Kind of expand my boundaries a bit and even though our you know our youtube views or our downloads or our podcast starts might not change from week to week the fact that people can post their spotify wrapped and say like oh yeah i've listened to 100 hours of your podcast this year it really does make it like you know someone's finding value out of this or an entertainment out of this and it really is quite motivating and it kind of makes me excited to go into the next year like hell yeah we're going to continue doing this at least that's my position so I hope you all you all feel the same. And then, of course, related to that, of course, I was out the last couple of weeks. Um, I was out on travel uh, with family doing some Thanksgiving travel. So thank you to Josh, Adam, James, Chow and the team for holding down the fort 
for the last couple of weeks. Um, I believe Colin was able to jump on either last week or the week before to talk about uh, something. Five Tactica. Tactica. Yeah. Tactica. Yeah. Tactica. That's what it was. Right. Um, and we're hoping to get them on hopefully early next year to potentially talk about some December releases. And I guess that's one thing I will say. We'll, we'll obviously cover this again um, when it comes to Game of the Year stuff. But in terms of like programmatically, the RPG site calendar, so to speak, we kind of focus on like a December to December calendar. So this one, this is one of those things where it's, it matters more in some context than others. But when it comes to game of the year, when it comes to our reader poll, more on that later, uh, we, we treat the year as anything that released last December through this November as kind of in play. So when we, uh, I guess I'll go ahead and give it the shout out now. We have the reader poll for the readers game of the year. Uh, 2023. If you go to our Facebook uh, or our Twitter page, you should see that uh, retweeted often throughout the month of December. And that is for your favorite game of 2023 and your most anticipated game of 2024 from December of last year through November of this year. So as an example, that means uh, games like um, Chained Echoes are in play for this year and games like Dragon Quest Monsters, uh, The Dark Prince are in play for next year. And I won't. I won't belabor that point. There'll be that'll be very clearly, explicitly labeled in our social media post and in the RPG site um, game of the year uh, articles, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. So going into this podcast, I'm taking a look at our outline here. There's actually a fair bit of news in terms of just uh, a few game announcements, some new trailers of existing games, a lot of release dates into the first two quarters of next year. Uh, in terms of games to be playing. It's, it's since this is our last real week to get some games under our belt before the game of the year, end of the year stuff. Uh, it looks like a lot of us on the podcast have kind of taken the opportunity to tackle our backlogs. So there really is no headliner here. A couple games that have released later in the year that we've always kind of wanted to circle back around to. Well, it looks like we've had a chance to circle back around to these, plus a few surprising games, uh, indie releases from the last week that we'll have a chance to talk about. So that's kind of going to be the theme of this podcast as our as our last recording for the year. And, and don't worry, we know that Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince came out uh, this week for Switch. Uh, you know, Claude and a few others are are playing through it uh, on our site. Uh, I intend to get around to it, but it's just you know, it, it's one of those things as Brian mentioned. Like when it comes to like our kind of main event for the end of this year, I kind of looking uh, working more towards the like things that I I might potentially want to like go to bat for at the Game of the Year stuff more so than like recent releases that i'll probably get to like you know later this month and of course you know in a in an ideal world you know all the years would have clean divisions but of course as we go into next 2024 some of us will still be playing games from 2023 like past when the game of the year stuff yeah. takes place so just that's how it is we always kind of go with the with the time and, and uh availability that we have uh but without further ado we'll go into uh some of the games that people here on the cast have been able to um, tackle over the last week. Uh, we're going to start out with a game that Josh was able to speak to. I believe it was on a Steam Next Fest festival. Yeah, like I did a preview for summer it before, time frame. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah this and that is, is the game Don't Wandering Perfect. Sword. And I'll hand it off to you at this point. Yeah, yeah. so Wandering Sword, we talked about it previously in a preview context. But over the last couple of weeks, uh, Josh was able to go through the full release of the game that came out a couple months ago. Yeah, I mentioned uh, last weekend, you know, I was, I was barely starting Wandering Sword and something that I really wanted to get to before uh, end of the year stop. And I'm glad this is the game that I'm choosing because this game fucking kicks ass. 
for people who don't know, Wandering Sword uh, is published by Spiral Up Games, developed by the Swordsman Studio. Um, and this is that it, it made a big splash at its announcement. This is like the HD 2D looking uh, Chinese wuxia uh, RPG that uh, boasted that it had both turn-based and real-time battle systems in it, and I'll go expand on that more later. But the gameplay, uh, as I mentioned in my preview, is a lot like Live Alive, where in battles, it's uh, based on grid movement, and you navigate and do action this grid based on um, this action bar filling up for characters, much like Live Alive. Uh, so the like and like the the greatest and like necessarily isometric is kind of like more of the overhead horizontal uh, view, uh, and um, you can go up and down, left and right, and then positional attacks matter. Roll side attacks will do more damage, while back attacks will do that damage up plus accuracy bonus. Um, and this is a, a really interesting thing to consider um, when you think about how you can uh, how the turn base at the real time aspects of it are toggleable. It's not like it's not like Trails of the Daybreak or Kuro no Kiseki where you uh, seamlessly switch from like action into turn-based and vice versa. There's more of a toggle that you put like out of battle there. there. Do, you, do you want to be in turn-based mode or real-time mode? And that's a, this surprisingly has uh, like substantial like um, I guess consequences in terms of like how you approach battle. So I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more once I kind of contextualize uh, what you're going into. Um, this basically, if you uh, watch wuxia films, this is like a classic wuxia uh, tale where you play this uh, kind of random nobody at the beginning called Yu, his name's Yuan Yi. You don't create a character that is pretty much uh, like a, a set predetermined character that has like you know participates in their story, go through the character arc. It's not like you're not like a blank slate. Um, at the beginning of the game, your caravan uh, gets attacked, and all uh, everyone pretty much dies except you and like the this grand master martial artist that saves you uh, from that uh, attack. Yeah, but uh, in that attack, you got uh, poisoned. So and the and the grand master martial artist has no way to treat you. So he uh, kind of drops you off at uh, what would become your mentor, uh, and, and kind of takes some time to at the beginning, like kind of like the prologue to heal yourself from this poison. You start um, exploring, you know, very classic ancient uh, Chinese martial arts concepts like gathering your key, um, got like sort of like manipulating your eternal energy, kind of awakening to like your potential as a martial artist, essentially. So you work with this uh, mentor. Uh, to go through it eventually, you know, within like the first hour or so, um, your mentor has some uh, skeletons in his closet in the sense that like the, this, his past is starting to come back to him because in his past he betrayed this, uh, this faction called the Wudang sect uh, and, uh, and he meant to go retreat and like, uh, like basically he, he made a family with another uh, person who betrayed their own faction and that's sort of a taboo in uh, where the setting is not supposed to like you know really mingle with uh, people from other disciplines especially not start a family with them so people who are out uh who have who he has like kind of messed with them past try to come after him and in this uh in a very big like cl climactic like first act uh in the game like in to cap off the prologue 
yeah, as you're escaping um, this cave where it had like a, a venom to counteract your poison, um, there's like a lot of representatives of like major factions that'll be more important down the story uh, come out to get him. But uh, your mentor is sort of weakened because you know he had to use some of his uh, his power to you know uh, heal you pretty pretty much with that venom. Um, this is so like it, a common trope like, in Musha where. Yeah. People get poisoned all the time, and then they have yeah. to use key to heal you. And when yeah. they use their key to heal you, they're like, they're kind of out of a commission for, for months or whatever. So you have to protect the person that used their key. Yeah. So in the uh, framework so, of the game, just uh, so just before we go on to the story, is it like yeah. this sounds like a judgment thing, but I don't mean it that way. But is this game like linear? Like you choose, like you don't really have a choice in protagonist or or story route. It's just more straight A to B. It is. It it is. It, it has a main story. You do have a a set main protagonist. It is linear in the, in the sense that you have a set main character and you have a a story that you can go through. But there is a lot of non-linear elements in terms of like the order you want to tackle things. In the sense that like I could like go recruit like party members way before that I could visibly do, depending on like uh, uh, by kind of taking advantage of what the game kind of gives you. Um, I'll you get know, the reason I ask that is just because, like the HD two D, I think of like Live Alive or Octopath, which of course have a lot of like choose a protagonist or even like Triangle Strategy, choose a route. Where this is more seems like a little bit more traditionally organized. A little bit, yeah. But but the the the, the framework of it gives you a lot to play around with, and that sort of uh, surfaces in the way like you interact with its gameplay systems. Well, I'll, I'll touch upon in a sec because like yeah. the yeah because the the whole setup is like. Kind of gives you a better idea of like what you're doing as a, as this character. So the outcome of this like event is pretty much your mentor dies, uh, saving you and his daughter. And but uh, outside of that cave, uh, since you're you yourself are too weak to like do anything from that, um, certain uh, a certain faction kidnaps the daughter, and you're kind of left for dead pretty much. Like everyone is like kind of pieces out, and you're kind of left like. Fuck! I really fucked up. Like the the your mentor's dead, the daughter's kidnapped, and you're like, what am I gonna do from here? You know, obviously you you made a promise with your mentor that you'll protect the daughter no matter what. So you kind of set off on this journey to, to go back and get his daughter. Um, and, and so like the 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 very very early thing you know is like a very early story beat is like you eventually go join the faction that your mentor uh, used to be from this Wu Dang sect, and then. I think that's when the main the main story really kicks off when you is when you start taking on missions for this Wu Dang sect because it it feeds into this first main main storyline arc against this uh, uh, antagonist faction called the Tian Long Gang. So what I mean by the gameplay is how you take advantage of them, uh, Brian. Is um, at the uh, very very early on before you uh, join this sect uh, before you even meet them. You get word of like, hey, this uh, local uh, local bandits nearby have got have gone to this mountain uh, and have been kidnapping children from this um, nearby village. Like some people, some locals saw. Oh, one of them saw that like this uh, kidnapped uh, the small girl was taken there. And then of course you're like, oh, that might be her, you know. So you go to this mountain, and w- once again, like you kind of get your ass kicked um, because you kind of get ambushed. And then you're put taken into a prison cell, and then eventually you take you take this time to learn one of like the sutras that um your your mentor gave you because the 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 main reason 
some of these factions want to go after your mentor uh, was because he had this uh, sutra, like this manual called the Five Immortals Sutra, pretty much. And you know, obviously, a very classic trope in uh, in Wuxia is like you kind of have like this sort of like artifact or this manual that like has it contains like a lot of like hidden power, you know. So you, you take that you take some time to kind of try to teach yourself some aspects of this um, sutra that uh, your uh, mentor gave you. And you, it's sort of it's still incomplete, but you kind of get your first like ultimate move from it. And then as you bust out of that prison cell, you meet this uh, mysterious woman that you'll you'll come to know later on. But she's referred to as the Lady in Red. Now, when you get this Lady in Red, she's a temporary guest party member, and you can go, com- like you know, continue the storyline and do what you want, like you know, like. But eventually, after this like se- uh, story section. Uh, with her, she'll leave your party. But uh, alternatively, you can go the other way and like delay the main story and go do like other stuff, like go do other side quests, go do other things that like you probably weren't meant to do like at this point of the game. But since you have this powered up guest party member, she'll carry you through the through these like other portions of the game. So before I even like went to go uh, went uh, like um, proceeded through the storyline. I actually went and got like two additional optional party members that normally you couldn't really get until later on, until like you're more able and have like more sort of like mainstay party members. But since I had this uh, guest party member in me, like the, the game is flexible enough to like uh, start the storyline. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't actually get those party members now that I think about it. I started like the first step of getting one of them and then. Once you get to, once you complete that first difficult step, you can get this optional party member, and then completing her, getting her as a permanent party member will unlock the prerequisite for another optional party member. So, but then there's other other side quests that are much more difficult to do if you were on your own or with like the first tutorial party member, like that. That's totally optional as well. But uh, those side quests are more durable now because you have this guest party member with you. Like, uh, like, you know what this uh, reminds me of, even though it's not quite the same? And I bet you Adam is going to agree with me if I know him, which I might not. But uh, Final Fantasy XII, you get <laughs> Larsa on your team yeah, as a guest party member who is just like, I believe it's Infinite High Potions or Infinite Curas or something. So he's basically just like a free white mage in a sense. And then you go and do all the optional stuff and like say, like, all right, now you do all the hard stuff while you have the guest party member with you. Yeah, That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. And uh, and another, uh, as you're going through the game, it it'll take a little bit because, um, you know, obviously the, the, the Wandering Sword is not a AAA game. It's very much like uh, an indie scope, uh, very much working on like on a, on a limited, you know, sort of set of resources. So a lot of it is kind of rough around the edges in terms of presentation. But once you start speaking its language of like how the gameplay systems interact with each other, how progression works in this game. It starts like a lot, a lot more sense, and it it really, really captures the spirit of like, how do you translate the 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 Chinese wuxia experience into an RPG? So, for example, this game doesn't have levels at all, and I think I mentioned that in the preview as well. There's no experience bar. There's no you level up uh, at all. How you actually gain stats like that you would eventually that you traditionally would get from leveling up is 
there are these um, cultivation manuals, and these are and you can get them from side quests. You can get them from uh, finding them out in the world. You can even get them from tra- from like learning them from people. Either, um, I'll get into that a little bit later because that's a little bit more of an involved mechanic. But essentially, as you learn more of these cultivation manuals and you um, and you uh, invest like martial points into them, you'll get these uh, things called meridian points. And meridian points are the sort of like the the currency that you'll use to kind of get those stat ups. Because um, each character has like um, I forgot what it's called, but like uh, these sort of styles that they can um, invest in, and each of these styles, which is like uh, con- uh, like conception, strength, um, and like a few, uh, and like a like four other things, um, they're like kind of like st- uh, like passive stat trees, where you can um, use your meridian points to get stats from them and then and once again this all done by investing into cultivation uh manuals and so that's kind of where your passive stat lo- um stats are are gained from this along with another big thing from your for the growth of your character is getting the better equipment as well so so that that's a lot of like uh the the things you have to manage as but yeah as you're playing through the game but it 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 feels really nice. They have a really nice scripted where you feel like you start, you, you you kind of start feeling like no one at first. You feel like you're you're a chump. You're not doing much damage. You don't have much health. You feel you feel and and you're surrounded by like much, these much more talented martial artists. But as you start learning more, uh, um, more cultivations and more fighting styles and more moves, um, and of course using consumables to, um. That that can be rewarded from side quests and such to permanently enhance your stats. Um, you start growing into someone more capable, and like even have like a like a, almost like a power ranking over each character, saying like uh, it'll say like power like expert, power master, power outstanding. Uh, it'll give you sort of a ballpark rating of like okay, where uh, how. How capable is this character at this moment? I, I I've talked about this before. I don't mind games, especially RPGs, where starting out you kind of feel like you suck. Um, yeah, you kind of have to work your way up, and then mm-hmm. you eventually, as you play the game, there's that whole feeling of getting stronger and stronger. And even though it's really just numbers, in a sense, you know, it's 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 uh, it's fun, really. It it, it feels so, really good too, because yeah, like it's like it's, it's 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 reflective through the story too, like. Mm-hmm. You feel like, like even from a narrative perspective, you feel like no one's really taking you seriously. No one's really like you. Just feel so incapable. But then several hours as you're building your character up and going through tougher fights, like people are recognizing you now. Like, hey, holy shit, what you pulled off back there—that's incredible. Like you just barely joined our sect, and you are you've already uh, done so much. Or like you, I I handed you like this cultivation method. And you've already like you know the, like it, it, people have already like identified you and you as someone who has like the potential to like like catch on to things fast. But seeing that manifest in the narrative, like it feels good. It feels like hey, you're really rooting for this protagonist, uh, you know, who's kind of like you know was left for dead at the very beginning, now working his way up through the world and kind of joining like joining the ranks of like legends, pretty much. Um, and then so. 
now this goes into like how um I mentioned earlier how you can kind of be taught things from people in this game almost a lot I'm not going to say every episode, but all, a lot of NPCs not almost every NPC cuz that'd be kind of oversight but a lot of NPCs have this option where you can consult with them and consulting means they'll teach you very like life skills and uh, currently known practices or cultivation methods or so, or skills from them. So like life skills are like fishing, alchemy, forging, and then another uh, then the other column is like, hey, I have uh, I'm a swordsman or I or I practice uh, pole arms. I know all these moves, but I also know these cultivation methods as well. And those have usually three prerequisites to learn them. An affinity prerequisite, a martial point uh, prerequisite, and a stamina prerequisite. So the first two are pretty achievable because martial points you you get from every battle, from completing completing side quests, um, just nor- normal things, pretty much. Um, stamina is something that you regain after you rest. Uh, um, so. I don't know why the stamina system is there, to be honest, but it's it's pretty e- easy to regain stamina once you consume it. Um, and the 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 affinity prerequisite is something that is pretty interesting in this game because it is a lot of there's a lot of inventory bloat in this game. <laughs> that is one of the things that you will notice very early on. Like if you're not actively selling stuff, like very being very diligent about selling stuff, your inventory will blow up pretty fast. But there's no inventory limit, so like you just have a ton of fucking shit on you. And like I haven't had the need to like sell anything, so I'm still pretty good on money, like just doing side quests and progressing story. So like I just have a ton of shit on me, and navigating it is something that I could be better at. But you know, there's a sort option, but you know, it's it's hard to let go of the fact that hey, you have like tons of shit on you. But you can gift a lot of NPCs in this game, and what they want is usually has a heart icon uh, on your inventory when you're browsing through inventory and you're about to gift them something. And you get, that's just how you raise affinity with them, like your relationship with them. At certain points, you can start doing more, th- interacting more things with the, with, the, with the character, depending on their affinity rating. So for example, if you reach 20 affinity rating with someone, you can spar with them. And if, you, if you're... It's a one-on-one battle. Um, if you if you're successful, um, you'll get like two to three items from the inventory for free because you won that spar. And you can do this again and again. It's not it's not a one-time thing. Um, but also like uh, but you're learning certain things from them, like certain moves or cultivation methods. Um, you they you might need like a three hundred fifty rating, like sixty or seventy. So you have to keep on gifting them things that they want. And as you're gifting them, eventually there'll be some affinity thresholds where, like, you'll have to start gifting them items of higher quality. So they might want. So at the beginning, they might want something that's like maybe rare, like like green, or or you know like green rarity. I guess is the best way to put it. But eventually, like if they hit like thirty or forty, they're like, I don't want the green stuff anymore. I want you to get me something blue or better. Do so you get them blue or better? You do you get them to like. Affinity rating fifty, and they're like, okay, I don't want the blue stuff. Anymore. I want like the orange. Like, so this is fine. just like dating in real life, I think, right? Yes, exactly, right. Okay. Um, so and and eventually, you know, until you get to like you know affinity rating seventy or so, depending on what like the the move that they have, 
depending on like what the move requirements are, you can just like learn it from them once you've uh, achieved all those prerequisites. Uh, th- that's not the only way to get the those. The, like, it's just one way to get those. Like most of the moves you may meet the, uh, on someone. Like you may have already learned them. Same with the cultivation methods. Because once again, there's like different avenues to uh, attain these things. It's like it's like different activities you can do. You can just you can just do it by trading, or you can do it by doing a side quest. You know, and, and it you it's the same result of getting this like cultivation uh, this cultivation method or move that you made. You just don't know it. Obviously, right away because you don't know the what the rewards are for any given quest or thing. Obviously, um, so uh, this, this op- every NPC, not all, not at every NPC, a, a lot of NPCs. It's they're all most marked. Them, okay. Yeah, yeah, most of them. Um, as for like party members, there are a lot of party members. There are there, obviously it's kind of interesting because you do get story companions. But it's pretty far into the game where you get story companions that actually join your party permanently. Um, all the other ones before that, like, I think if you were... If I was playing this game and I didn't get any of the optional party members at all, I'd be I'd be soloing just with you and you, just the protagonist alone, for, like, well over 12 to 13 hours of this game. If I didn't get any other optional party members. Um, which you could do if you want. I mean, it's a lot more challenging, obviously, but it's doable if you can have the willpower to do it um but when it comes to optional party members this game has a lot so aside from like the three to four story companions that you get there's like well over like two dozen more than two do- more than two dozen optional party members that you, I, get, I, you can get in this game i forgot to mention does it have permadeath for but optional characters so there yes there is some Optional party members that you can forever lose if, like, it, like that. There's, it's only a few of them, but there are definitely some weird requirements for them that, like, if you fuck up something, they'll be gone forever. Like, for example, um, the the martial artist at the at that school in the first big town, the Chen Lenchi. Um, if you if he likes if your affinity rating with him is too high. At the end of his quest chain, you'll lose him forever if his affinity quest if his affinity is too high. You know what this uh, reminds me very of? Weird. You know what this what? reminds me of? Only Brian what? will understand this. It's just like Pentiment. <laughs> I don't know, if Brian. Actually, yeah, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need more teeing up. Like, how so? Uh, if your little follower guy, whose name I forget, oh, likes oh, you yeah, too much, oh yeah, yeah, he will. He refuses to leave. Okay, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, so like, so, so very, yeah. To, to chow for a very, very like isolated example. If you're, if his affinity rating for you is too high at the end of his companion quest, you'll have murderous urges towards you, and you'll have to like, yeah, you have to pretty much to, to calm him down. You have to kill him, and that's it. That's the end of uh, and and you lose him forever. That part's not that's, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So you have, so you have to deliberately have like lower his affinity rating, which you you can do once in his companion quest. You have the opportunity to do it once in his companion quest. And if you don't do it, then you fucked up. Um, I never heard of a game where for field goes uh, haywire for having infinity too high with you. It, it, it was, it, that, like I, I looked at it, I was like, "Holy shit, that's fucking crazy!" But the, but for uh, yeah, for a lot of the party members, there's usually like some sort of like prerequisite to obviously get them. Like some some of them are main story gated. Some of them you have to kind of go out of your way and like do a side quest chain. 
Um, some some of them have like pretty obscure requ- uh, requirements that the community has uh, um, kind of dissected and like figured out mostly uh, how to get them. Um, but uh, once they, some of them once they're available, you have to actually gift them till their affinity rating is sixty, and then you can invite them into your party as well. Um, so it's some some of them is like not as straightforward as you as you think it might be. So like. Sometimes you have to go through all this and then gift them and do the affinity rating for them to get to join you. And then up to five party members uh, can join you in battles, so that's including your protagonist. So, like, it's your protagonist and then four other party members. Um, but, like, but when it comes to, like, you have to remove anyone from, like, your, your party, not necessarily. So, there's kind of a weird thing where you can deploy people wherever you want. Like, you know, you can, you can kind of swap people uh, in and out of combat. Um, when you're not in combat, like you can choose, like, hey, I want this polearm dude, and I'll deploy him to battle before when you're when you're out of battle, and then. But if you want him, but if you want to replace him with another person, you can choose another person from your team and just like replace them. They won't, they won't ever really leave you once they, once you recruit them, unless you deliberately choose the remove option, to and then you have to go back to their into their town and like reinvite them. I don't know why you do that, but you can do that. Um, but. Your your party list kind of becomes a little bit. <laughs> it's funny um, because all, yeah, your party list becomes really like crowded, right? Like eventually you have to have a scroll bar to like browse through all your party members. You start getting a lot of them, and even then, like when it comes to like story people and like guest party members, they'll they'll join you in battle plus your deployed squads. So you can have like your deployed five plus like the story mandatory or guest party members. So you can easily have up to like. Eight to ten people in in battle at once, um, going at it, which is you know it's pretty cool because like you just have like a freaking mini army going at it against like a few other people. Um, so this is where it comes like uh, this is where the the turn based in real time uh, battle system gets really interesting because like most of the time you'll probably be on turn based. Like I'd say eighty eighty to eighty five percent of the time you'll be on turn based. You can have it manual or auto battle. Uh, obviously, auto battle means that you know everyone will take when it's their turn. They'll do whatever they want, um, and it's 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 every. I forgot how speed is determined uh, on there, but there's a turn order um, as well. And you know, the the turn based mode is pretty much what you'd expect um, from this type of uh, RPG. So that's pretty self explanatory. Um, when it comes to like your your moves, you have like several options. You have like a regular move, a special move, a mighty move, a unique move, um, and then ways to like buff yourself uh, and all that sort of stuff. And and so and most of them work off of cooldown. So after you use one, you have to wait a certain amount of turns to use it again. So pretty simple and straightforward when it comes to turn based. Now real time mode is very interesting because. It still is the same battle grid and same perspective. The only thing is that changes in real time mode is that as soon as a character's action bar is filled, they will immediately take their turn without there's there's no turn order. There's it's, it's irrespective of like any sort of like freezing or or turn based or anything. It's like as soon as their action bar is filled, they will do their action right away. And this is this for anyone in your squad, 
anyone in your anyone in the enemy squad, and also for uh, the only one you're you're controlling in the, in real time mode is you and Yi himself, just the protagonist himself. Everyone else is automated right away on that, and so this is obviously this is good if like you're grinding like lower mobs are going through like weaker mobs and you're just trying to end up battles as fast as possible um because battles will go by very very fast in real time mode especially when you use that when you uh turn on game speed times two or battle speed times two you know so that's so that that's kind of a utilization of real time mode but that's not really the primary use of real time mode um real time mode is most effective during uh, one versus one duels, and th- a lot of times you will have to you will be forced to do one versus one duels with your protagonist. That's why it's it's recommended that all your stat ups, all your all your consumables that like uh, raise meridian points, like uh, you want to get your protagonist basically as buff as possible because there's a lot of like mandated one v one fights, whether it's a story and both on side quests. Now. There'll be some tough enemies, obviously, um, when you're fighting 1v1s. And in turn-based mode, some of them are damn near impossible because you're gated by stat. Um, you, you feel like you're not doing enough damage, but, you're, but, but it's like you're getting close, but not close enough. But you have to, be res- you have to respect the turn-based system because you take a turn, then t- they take their turn. There's no easy way to kind of dodge out of their attack. Now, in real-time mode, since you can take a turn immediately um, when your action bar is filled, and you can see the enemy's action bar, you know when they're going to attack. So in real-time mode, when you see their action bar is filled, you wait like maybe one, one and a half seconds, then you move out of the way, and you actually dodged, in real-time, their attack. So you kind of you kind of finagle with the real-time system to actually beat uh, 1v1 duels against... Uh, stronger enemies because you have the luxury of dodging out of the way uh, consciously. Sometimes, which is a real... sometimes if I'm feeling especially cynical, mm-hmm. I think like a lot of action RPGs in terms of like the skill involved or whatnot, it's just like as long as you can dodge, you can win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I, and I, I mean that's that's kind of intentionally cynical. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I I totally understand. You know, turn into action mode because then you can dodge, and that yeah, pretty much really yeah, that, 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 a, yeah. It, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like an interesting like wrinkle on the system. It's like okay, well, this this fight would kind of be almost impossible turn based, but since you can dodge, you can win this fight. And sure enough, that's you know there are some like tougher like one v one duels that I definitely uh, redid. So I was like, well, I'm gonna turn it to real time mode and go and 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 face them like this, and you know, and it's it's much more manageable like that. And I think that's really that's a really funny way to like kind of engage with the system. Like for me, I think that's really funny, and it's um and it's entertaining in a way that like they they utilize this real time mode. I'm sure they kind of knew it going in, but I do like how it gives you the option. Like you can go kind of cheese this if you want. It's like okay, sure. <laughs> um. And that's that. That's sort of the important factor of one v our real time mode is those one v one duels. More like you know you can use them for grinding really fast if you want to. I think that's the most effective use of the real time mode um, in the game. 
So I still have a lot of the game left. It's still super engaging. Um, I, I like a lot of the characters uh, that I bet both uh, optional and uh, story mode. And, you know, I, I'm at the point of the game where I kind of... Um, I finished destroying the Tian Long gang, um, which is like the first major antagonist that faction in the game. But obviously there's more to it than that. There's more behind the scenes at work. So, um, and, and it's kind of crazy because... This game, um, I was talking with some friends who played it at launch, and at launch, this game didn't have a world map, and that, that's one of like the most useful features of this game that I did that they didn't launch with. Because like when you when you go in the game and you press like the select button, you'll get like a, a, a basically a, a world map of like where all the cities are, where all the towns are, and where your player marker is. And they also added like a fast travel system where they set up like horse stables by like major cities where you can just pay a measly one hundred points to like fast travel to them. But it's like it's one of the most useful things in the game. Like, how did you play this game without a world map? Like, I'd be so freaking lost if I didn't have this world map to like go. Because there's a, like there's a lot of like places in the game and a lot of like very very often in this game it will say go here to like proceed or go here and do this and like and whenever I see like oh there's like a whenever there's an objective it doesn't give you markers on like where that thing is and where you go. You go look at your world map. And say, okay, I have to go travel here, so I use this road to go there. Or if, or if I have, or if I unlock fast travel, I would go to the nearest fast travel point there. You know, that's just very, very convenient. And and I'm just like thinking, like, man, I cannot believe this this launch without a world map because it's like one of the most useful features in the game to kind of like the game's constantly being updated still. So yeah. I'm just wondering, it's like if if I was reviewing on day one. It's like, and now you're reviewing it. Your impression for the game is probably completely different, from right? No. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, so far I've been really having a blast. I think this is kind of a, a really, just a really fresh sort of um, take on the, on this uh, genre. Like having this classic uh, Wuxia story and the way that the, the, the systems really reinforce that feeling of the cultivations. And gathering key, and uh, and just engaging with like plots that like you would see in these types of films. That's like it's not like the most complex thing, but it's very it's very relaxing and very very comfortable. Um, and I really like it. I'm I'm very surprised at like how much I've this game has really um, stuck on. To. I, I I I really like. It. No, this is one that was definitely on my radar when it was announced early in the year. It's just that you know this year has been so packed, so it's always just trying to try to pick your battles. Yeah, when did it release? September. You time for. <laughs> yeah, September. September was. I was crazy. gonna pull up his Steam page to see like what the like what the reception was. And, I think yeah. it's like yeah, it's a very 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 positive. Very Steam. positive, eleven thousand total reviews. So yeah, it's been received pretty well. And that's that's you know I'm I'm glad that like. The devs saw success in this because they're like even graphically and the amount of like animation work has gone to like unique sprites in this game. Like it is, it there's a lot of effort put into this game. It's it's very impressive. Uh, I think I think my only like gripe with its presentation that I you know I, I it's understandable why it has this such a limited scope. But I wish it had like more like unique battle themes and unique uh, or more unique music in general. You know. Which I understand why there isn't. I, that's kind of my wish at the moment. It's 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 so cool, and I'm very impressed. 
Thank you, Josh, for going through your further impressions on Wandering Sword. And we're just going to kind of keep kind of going around the table here. And we'll next pick up with James and some of the games that he touched on in his backlog. Oh, one of these is actually a new release. One came out about a month ago. Uh, James, I'll let you pick the order you want to talk about these. We put up two games on the list here. It looks like you put in some time with Lunacid and Noctuary. So tee us up on uh, what these games are. You can go in whichever order you prefer. I think I'll start with uh, Lunacid. I think it's Lunacid. I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. I think that's right. Um, so obviously from software's uh, Dark Souls games, super popular, basically just springboarded a whole like slew of games that are very much aping from the same com- uh, concept. Uh, so Lunacid is that, but for Kingsfield. <laughs> basically, the- <laughs> which, which, first person dungeon. Hmm? Which if you need to be teed up is... Uh, from software prior to Dark Souls. Yeah, they're first person, like, uh, like uh, real time dungeon crawler type things, which uh, I've never actually played a Kingsfield. I should probably do that. I, I would I like did, I th- did play a Kingsfield. I, I think, okay, so Kingsfield was really weird in the, in the States because, like, the Kingsfield that came out in America was actually Kingsfield 2. I never played the original Kingsfield 1, only the one that came out for PlayStation here in the West. And apparently that was Kingsfield 2. They didn't get rebranded as that. It's kind of like the Final Fantasy teachers. It was a weird time. Yeah, uh, I think reception for those games back in those days is very mixed. You either love them or you really hate them, but they have its own charm. I think that's how the yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, dude, that was the first PlayStation game I ever played was the was Kingsfield in the states. Um, that was crazy. <laughs> I had the patience of a saint, I guess. Um, yeah, Kingsfield is definitely one of the classic. Dungeon Crawlers that is not... It is very obtuse. Um, it is very brutal. But it was... It, it definitely nailed down that um, sort of like horror survival feeling. It, like wandering through the dungeon. And hopeless and without direction. So... And, so, and Lunacid yeah. is trying to evoke that same mm-hmm. yeah. feeling. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah... Uh, it's it's pretty neat. Uh, there's all these sorts of uh, little systems that work together. Like, um, so you have levels, obviously, but you're not told when you can level up. So you have to go to like a, a save point and try to level up every so often to see if you can. And then the way levels up happen is every level you get a certain amount of skill points you can put into each of your stats, and you have some skills um, skills that are just like it makes it so that you're like. Weapon swings do more damage. Uh, Int makes it so that not only do you do more damage with spells, but also it increases your maximum MP and also how quickly spells charge. Because when you try to use spells in Lunacid, uh, there's a charge up time. And it the charge time depends on the spell itself, but also, again, your Int. Uh, and the spells themselves are actually part of magic rings. You can equip two, and you can just find them all all around the world. The level design is interesting. There's obviously stuff like hidden walls and all sorts of stuff that you can consider when you're like exploring. Um, it's I'm only about like four or five hours in, so I'm like a decent chunk in, but not like super, super far in. But um, I've been enjoying it. It 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 looks like a PlayStation one game, like very obviously by design. Like you can look at the screenshots and uh 
it's even trying to like use some of the same like uh, graphical effects and whatnot. Uh, it it's a lot of fun so far. Um, also, it <laughs> it's uh, Steam Deck verified and runs perfectly on the OLED. Can get a That's ninety the only FPS. Why you it. I'm no, no, I'm <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's like it's like a runs at ninety FPS on the OLED, and I get like six hours of battery life, and it's like, oh man, yeah, this this is like perfect for for the Steam Deck. Yeah, let me, let me say it's very, very cool because, like, I I was watching uh, some friends play it and like for extensively, and uh, it's really cool that like you get like a man. Uh, whenever you level up in it, yeah, you it's a manual stat up decisions, so you can choose for a very specialized build. I saw my friend do being crazy and did like a like a, a very balanced equalized build where all his stats are almost the same stat. Like, oh my god! <laughs> like, uh, like I because usually the anti, times, you, the you, you, you do specialize. Yeah, exactly. You just specialize around the other. Um, but then, like, there's some really cool like uh, spells and weapons. Like, I saw he used a lot of like this, uh, like this candle spell where like he holds like, up a candle and then like the flame shoots out a fireball from it, and like and the and the and the light travels with that fireball as well. So yep. you can almost use it as a light source. And like then the 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 environment and, and uh, monster design, they're so they're almost very dreamlike. Like I saw, like. A design where it's like just a floating manta ray just like wandering around <laughs> and i was just like and and the the, the color the, the color design of this game is really it's not it's not dreary or as dark as like a kingsfield but it's more it's, dreamlike yeah it's more dreamlike it's very it's a really interesting vibe for this yeah it's it's really good um i've been enjoying it quite a bit uh but yeah, I'll, I'll keep playing it. I hope mm -hmm. to have finished at least one playthrough by the time Game of the Year uh, starts next week. Because <laughs> yeah, I yeah. figured, because I figured, probably worth having somebody talk about it. Because it is, it's like, I feel like all of us feel this way, where it's like there's so many RPGs, and the thing is, is that there's so many indie RPGs that release like every week, and it's like. Sometimes we just don't have the time to check them out, so we gotta at least try and like play some of them. So, if, so if there's maybe something worth talking about, we can well talk about it. Yeah, and, and the music in Lunacid is really good as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I really yeah. like the. And another a nice little touch to it is like there's a, there's an in-game manual, but it's actually like almost like a diary. The where it, like it's very much like a one of those old-time manuals that you kind of read through, and you get a lot of like info out of it that like the game doesn't explicitly teach you you're encouraging like upgrading like upgrading weapons like yes. uh weapons like some weapons have xp you can tell if they do because there's like a an additional xp bar or well the only xp bar like on the uh the ui if you're using a weapon that has the ability to be enhanced and once you fill up the bar and it's it's obvious when it's filled up because it glows you can go to this oil pit in the main hub interact with it with that weapon equipped and then you enhance the weapon and it's like if you don't if you don't read the manual you won't know about that at all yeah definitely i i i love games that like that have really well-made manuals and it's like if you don't understand what you're doing you should probably take a look at the manual that was even Xenoblade Cross. Uh, yeah, you, you know what, what this uh, conversation is reminding me of? 
Mm. I really, one of these days, seriously need to sit down for like a week or two and actually fucking play La Moana. I've tried on Ooh. several occasions, on several occasions, and I've gotten as far as like four like areas in, like mm-hmm. I, I've, which is a decent amount. But the problem with La Moana is it's unless you're using a guide, and I refuse to use a guide. Yeah. Every time, every time I've used, I've played La Moana, I've bought a notebook explicitly for it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very obtuse game that like you if the you get more out of it the more like manual observation work you get into it because if you just use a guide you're you kind of destroy the point of that game. Yeah, but yeah, one of these days I'll play uh-huh. that and then the sequel that I that I kickstarted. But <laughs> okay, yeah, but yeah, um, so yeah, enough about uh, Luna said the other game I played this uh, week was um this uh well. Much like Wandering Sword, this is another Chinese indie game uh, called Noctuary. Uh, and I, the developer is, let me check Steam really quick. It's their first game oh, on no, Steam. Go, I don't. Go. Yeah, it's their first game on Steam. I don't. I, I believe that they have developed stuff for the Chinese indie scene in the past. This is just the first game of theirs that's getting a Western release, or at least one on a platform where more people would see it uh so it's a mix between a visual novel and a top like a top-down isometric like action rpg kind of like a diablo uh it's less of an rpg than i expected heading in there's still rpg elements like every time you do like a mission or whatnot you get these uh like uh, like basically experience points called photons that you can use to uh upgrade certain stats and then also as you do side um content you unlock these like perks you can equip to this blessing flower and they can have different like effects and whatnot uh gameplay wise pretty interesting um you have two main characters uh fancia and alina and uh basically whenever you're in combat both of them are attacking but you only control one of them at a time, and each of the two characters has three different styles you can use. And the thing that the styles change is your main attack and your your meter attack. And so, like, for example, Fancia is mostly focused on ranged attacks while Alina is on melee. Like, Alina has, like, a sword, a, uh, like, these, uh, like, um, Gundam, what are they called? New lists? Funnels. Funnels. Funnel, yeah, funnels. And then uh, also uh, the uh, a, a spear. Um, and then like uh, Fancia has like all these uh, ranged attacks, like a staff, a bow, and then just like uh, orbs that spew out like fire, mm. which is interesting. But um, so I mentioned two things that's not to be, well, I'll, I'll, what's the best way of putting it? So I mentioned that this game for is uh, a bit of a visual novel, and I also mentioned this is the first game from this Chinese developer that's got an English translation. You can tell. Is it machine translated, translated or just? It's not machine translated. Um, well, I do want to stress that the translation has issues, but at least you can tell that the, that an effort was put in. Like okay. it's one of those things where if there was like an additional like editing pass or two, it would be, it would be just fine. Like it's not even explicitly dry. You can tell that the effort was put in. It just uh, whoever was in in charge of editing 
needed more time or needed to never pass. Like, I don't think it's as bad as some other, like, uh, Chinese indie games I've played in the past. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the reasons why I was interested in trying this out, uh, when we first got, like, PR about it, like, uh, a week and some change ago, from the trailer, you could actually see some bits of the translation, and it seemed like it was in a decent enough state where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot. And, and I do want to stress, like, there are issues with this game's translation, but they've already been fixing some typos. And I feel like it's in a decent enough state where if you can overlook some, like, every so often, like, one word where it's like, that doesn't seem like quite the right choice, or, oh, there's a typo here, then you, you'll still have a good time. Like, it, not to go into the story stuff too much, I think it's like a neat enough premise. Uh, basically, this alternate world, uh, humanity is built up of these uh like creatures called illuminators which in the lore are the hopes of plants given life and basically these illuminators are people but they're made out of light itself and the entire idea is is that the plants dream up these people made of light so they can survive and then it's weird from there but it's a uh, pretty interesting so far gameplay is neat um the combat's pretty good uh the uh, boss fights i've done so far are pretty inspired uh but yeah i'm i'm curious to see how it goes um in the future and i'm i'll, I'll definitely like update folks on how i feel about it when i uh get further on mm-hmm. i'm still trying to wrap my brain around how you describe that story premise so plant well, people are imagining light Not sources? plant people, plants. Plants. Like right. actual plants. plants. You don't dream about plants? Sometimes. Just they're <laughs> not real enough. Out well, of the way this say. game sounds to me, it sounds like Sway from Falcom. I don't know if that's kind of it, but it sounds like that to me. I don't think I've ever heard that about that. What is in it ter- in terms of story or in terms of uh, gameplay? You mean Game- gameplay like oh, Sway 2? Yeah. It kind of sounds like Sway. Oh, Sway. oh I, I thought you said Sway, not Sway. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I heard Sway too, not Sway. I like Sway. It's like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's Sway. Sorry, German, I'm not German. German. German for two, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, oh, favorite no. fa- my favorite Falcom game, Zwei 2. 2 2. Ah, twos. Yeah, but I do agree with James's general sentiment that there are so many indie games that all look interesting and you never quite know whether they're going to be a banger or something that just kind of feels like it needed more time in the oven. So uh, uh, on that note, I remember, I think it was 2019, it was November, and there was a game coming out that I was like, this sort of looks interesting, but I don't have time to play it. It might not be any good. Uh, we'll see. You know what game that was? Disco Elysium. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, before it came out, it was yeah. hard to tell, you know. Like, yeah, you didn't know. All of a sudden, it's just like, holy crap! This is this is something. Okay. Disco Elysium has done so much for uh, shit posting on Twitter. So much. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad that the studio itself is like yep. nothing now. Yeah, I mean, it still exists, but. It still exists, but it's like ship of faces where it's like right. all the components. Honestly, honest. 
I think I think the shit that happened with the studio and and the uh, lead devs, if anything, just kind of fits in with the themes of the game even more. If you like read the text where it's like uh, yeah. capitalism will subsume everything, even critiques of itself. It's like, oh. yeah, yeah, that's sure what happened. It's a great game. It's it is very funny to look at the uh, current like the recently released as in today, like teaser for the Fallout like Amazon like Prime series and think, aren't they making a Disco Elysium Prime series? <laughs> Are they? Oh no way. I didn't I didn't hear about that. <laughs> this sort of sounds familiar. No, but thank you, James, for going through uh Noxuary and Lunacid and your time with both of those indie games. Uh so now while I was out, I basically took the opportunity to try to tackle my backlog. Uh Try to knock out a bunch of different. I've been playing. I feel like a bunch of very long RPGs in a row. So I was trying to fit, uh, finish out some things that I left unfinished, or some shorter games uh, while I was traveling. Things that I could play on my Switch or on my Steam Deck. Uh, so really, no, no theme or thesis here. Uh, I was finally able to reach credits in Pokemon Violet. Ooh! So like a year after release, uh-huh. um, and. We've had plenty of opportunity to talk about Pokemon, so I won't dwell on it too much. But one thing that I will say is that game has kind of three different story branches. It has this Team Star branch, the Titan Quest branch, and then like the Pokemon League branch. And each one kind of has like a key NPC that's kind of like the the primary supporting character for that branch. For the for the League branch, you've got Nimona, the champion. You've got uh, Arvin. Uh, who's the long-haired guy with the backpack for the Titan branch. And then you've got Penny, who's like the Eevee fanatic for the Team Star branch. And at the end of the game, there's a very short like post-game where the three characters do get like a chance to like interact. It's like you have these three storylines that are pretty clearly divorced throughout most of the game. And then at the very end, they do finally allow them to intersect, but it only lasts for like an hour or 90 minutes. And that's probably the part of the game I enjoyed most. I'm like, man, I wish this game just had like an extended post game, which I haven't played the DLC yet. So maybe I'll get more of that once I get into the DLC. I did a little bit of like the the Terra rating and things like that. And I can kind of see the appeal. But at that point, I'm like, all right, I got to move on to the next thing. But I'm glad I was able to. This is the first Pokemon game I've seen to completion, at least to credits since like Gen 4. So it's been it's been a while. Um, And I still I still enjoyed it. But the same weaknesses that we've kind of harped on back and forward with Scarlet and Violet are all very still present, um, usually in terms of performance. Uh, so I won't really, you know, dig that back up. Uh, but I, I finished that and I want to try to get to the DLC, hopefully uh, soon, just so it's not hanging on my backlog. Um, we talked the last podcast that I was on before stepping out. Adam was talking about the new DLC to Tales of Arise. I think I said on that podcast that I was just going to like not not play that DLC. I was going to hold off on it. But then I kind of like, I don't know if this is the, a good motivation or not to play anything, but I'm like, you know what? It's short. I can knock it out and then I don't have to worry about it sort of <laughs> thing. Like I didn't I didn't want it on my conscience. Be like, oh, yeah, I never played that. So I put it on my Steam Deck. It, Tales of Rise runs pretty, pretty damn well on the Steam Deck. So uh, uh, I played through that and really kind of came away with like the same general takeaways that seems to be kind of the consensus around the DLC that Adam kind of detailed on that episode of the podcast uh so it is basically more tales of arise without really any wrinkles at all for for better or for worse um so it 
I don't know, it kind of gave me a little bit of that popcorn tales, you know, taste that I hadn't had since the game, you know, was finished two years ago. So it was short enough and brief enough that I, I kind of appreciated an opportunity to revisit the game. So for all of its faults, I did enjoy that aspect of it. Um, then on a whim, I was looking at games that I hadn't played yet this year and hadn't had time to get to. And like, what, what can I realistically put a dent in in a week? There are some games like Lies of P where I'm like, I wanted to play this. I probably won't get to it. I believe Adam was able to like talk about this uh, on last episode podcast. It's kind of like a backlog look. So looks like you were able to at least cover the game for the site. So that's pretty neat. Um, then I was looking through the list and I'm like, Infinity Strash, The Adventures of Die. Yeah. That game's not too long, right? I had uh-huh. some interest in that game back when it was announced. I watched like the first five episodes of the reboot <laughs> anime. That came, uh, sure, why not? Um, a game that, even though it wasn't received well, both on this site you know, to uh, pretty much Josh's uh, interpretation of the game, and then like the consensus as well, but I didn't want to like, I wanted to experience it for myself. That's right. Uh, so so I have not watched the full anime. So that's that's just contextualizing where I'm coming from. So I don't have the full context. I'm going into this game knowing of the anime, but not having watched it. So it seems like it's a retelling of a good chunk of the anime, though it skims some parts off the front and back, as far as I can tell. Uh, it actually uses its primary method of delivering its story is through like taking stills from the animation and doing voiceover on them and then taking some of the bigger moments and actually animating those through like the actual game engine um the story is uh i'll talk about the game itself first and i don't want to we talked about this game before so this will be kind of an abbreviated take the game itself is very like brief it's very like thin in terms of like most of the levels are one-on-one boss fights or or occasionally your party uh die pop mom and uncle my uncle uh versus a boss there are very few levels that are actually involved like a field or multiple enemies almost everything is against a single opponent uh, more than half i would say and you pretty much level up once per battle like it's very brief. It doesn't like some games have like a very slow progression ramp. Like like for instance, Baldur's Gate three, very different game, where in the course of that hundred hour game, you level up ten or eleven times, right? Where Dragon Quest Die is a ten hour game where you level up thirty times. Uh, so I kind of question: Did you mess the with the roguelike mode at all, or the run like? I mode? did. Uh, th- I I did three levels of it, like three stratuses or whatever. Because weirdly, that that almost feels like the actual meat of the game yeah it is it is yeah and like that's actually like um, how you're i think supposed to power up is through that yeah so it has a lot of roguelike roguelite elements where every time you go into this temple of recollection your actual exp level is reset to one but these memory cards i forget what they're called in game are um like those are what persist so you collect those and you can tear them up and uh those give you like passive stats to your attack or hp etc and those are the ones that allow you to get stronger every time you do a run through the temple even if you're restarting a level one because you level up these memory cards and that also carries over to the base game but if you're playing the base game on the standard difficulty you don't really need to uh, no, engage with it i i only the, mess with the are... like mode after i beat the game 
Oh, I didn't realize you had already played it. I know Josh had played it. I didn't know you I had. beat it in like a day, probably similar to you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So uh, I actually didn't realize that. Um, but yeah, I I did make sure to do the um, the optional side like field battles because they usually take like six minutes and you basically get like a free level up out of them. So it's like you're only handcuffing yourself if you don't do them. Um, so the game is very thin. It's not bad. It just doesn't really do anything interesting. But I do want to be optimistic about this. What I'll say is, is despite being like very archetypal Donin story, I enjoyed it actually quite a hell of a lot. Just there were a lot of story elements that I actually like was really like invested in. I wasn't clicking through the dialogue. I was um, especially like in chapters like four and five, where you start to learn a little bit more about Dai's origin, about the like the the villain of baddies and where they're all coming from. And it was just, I was actually enjoying it a lot. And my kind of takeaway was like, man, I should have kept watching the anime, huh? Uh-huh. That, was, that, was my, that was my takeaway. When <laughs> no, I, I was like, hey, go read, the, you know what? go read the manga or watch the anime. That you, you want cool shonen shit? Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, it's been there for a long time. <laughs> yeah, so obviously this is uh, the recent anime is from 2021, retelling mm-hmm. a anime from the 90s, which was an adaptation of a manga from the 80s. I hope I got all those decades right. Uh, it's it, it's it's a long lineage, but yeah, yeah it's so, uh, like but but even but like it like the die uh, is like is such a celebrated like Dragon Quest spinoff work in Japan because mm-hmm. it really it pretty much is like the whole sh- like story plays out pretty much like an RPG, but like but but like it takes like the very best of like shonen elements and like exemplifies that through the through the work and like makes it it, it gives itself like a long enough runtime. To like really let its characters develop, and you feel for them and see their growth over time, and it really makes you root for them, and it does does that very well. Um, whether it's the original run of the manga or the shows, you know. And even though he comes across as a goofball, uh, Pop really is an endearing character. I think he's kind of really designed to be a very easily likable character. So part of me is kind of like, no, he's he's meant to be likable. Be a hipster. You should find something. Pop is a badass dude. You 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 think you know, but then once you see him develop, it's like holy shit! I'm so yeah, proud of Pop. <laughs> yeah, chapter five and Pop is very easy to like, and I I was like very enthused and uh, engaged with those parts of the story. So uh, it's a brief enough game that despite the game itself being kind of thin, and I feel kind of bad that I apparently I'm just coming away with the same takeaways that you both had, but uh, but uh, I guess that doesn't mean it doesn't make it any less valid, but brief enough game that I really didn't feel like I really enjoyed my time with it. It makes me eager to maybe pick up the anime again uh, or, or, or manga and was worth was worth a, a couple sessions to play through you can kind of blitz through it if you're not really interested in engaging in all the roguelike stuff but it seems like that's the sort of game where you can reach credits in like eight hours but if you want to do- put dozens of dozens into the roguelike mode or the challenge mode you could if you um, want i mean that is yeah. definitely a use of your time that you can do yeah but then of course at that point it's distilled pure gameplay so then it kind of is not the game's strength at that point uh but I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I was. I'm glad I looked at it on my list, and I kind of eeny meeny mind eeny meeny mind mowed it out of the list. I'm like, you know what? Let me knock this one out. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I did that. Well, so, like, you know what? It, the, the, the game actually looks great. Like the game graphics are, are actually pretty cool. It's got good production values. Yeah. yeah. And and the music is carried by well the the it was tracks from the anime the the, the new anime. And hey, that oh, yeah, OST and fucking bops. Speaking of the uh, OST, I assume he was on 
the original anime, but I'm not sure. He might have just been doing arrangements for the new anime, but Yuk, Yuki Hayashi. Yeah. The the uh the sounds sounded familiar to me. Like like it just had like the same like tonality. And I'm like, where is this from? So I look him <laughs> up on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, he does a lot of the soundtrack for my hero my hero academia. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's right. That's where I, I kind of like you can kind of recognize it. Like, oh, of course that's the same guy. It sounds very similar. But yeah, very good soundtrack. It's kind of strange because I, I look at the reception of this game and it's very, very lukewarm. But it's like pretty damn good story, good soundtrack, good production values. It's just that the actual like meat and potatoes of the game is where it falls short, which is the most important thing. Uh, but still enjoyed it regardless of its shortcomings. Uh, I do recommend it. It's a game I would recommend. I mean, when I was, oh, when, I was talking, <laughs> when I was talking about this game uh, when it released. I guess my takeaway was like the same as yours, but a little bit more cynical, where it's just like all the things that I'm appraising about the game are things that came from elsewhere, independent like of the, game. the anime yeah. or the manga. Like anything that was actually part of the game adaptation itself is bad. Anything that is not part of the game uh, adaptation is good. Pretty much. That's, that's a good point. You're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, like, I, like I, I think the, 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 game is, uh, the game is like at its best, it's when it's doing those like narrative scenes that are part of the game engine but things are moving within the game engine and, and story scenes are playing out within that engine and the music and the visuals come together in a really really delightful way that's where the game is at its best it's not a lot of the game but when it ha- when it does it's like yes this is what the game could have been more of but then it was crocodile is also a bro yes crocodile is good yeah and then after I knocked that one out, I'm like, is there any other game that's uh, recent-ish that's that I could knock out and kind of like it's it seems it's, it seems like a dumb way to motivate yourself to play a game, but like the the more like low hanging fruit that I can knock off, like I'll 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 target those this week, and completely kind of a little bit of a tonal shift. But I saw installed in my Steam library that I hadn't gotten to yet came out I believe last December was the Crisis Core Reunion Remaster. And I'm like, you know what? We've got Rebirth coming out, which when Reunion came out, it really didn't tether into the whole remake storytelling, at least explicitly. But it's been so long since I've played the PSP version of the game. My memory's super foggy. Just knowing that background could be useful to appreciation of the story in Rebirth. Game's not that long. Yeah, so if, I figured, if, if you're concerned about, I, like, canon, everyone loves canon. I don't think yeah. Reunion is technically canon, but it's we know that Zach's background is basically that in some form, you know, and he's apparently is going to be very somehow present in Rebirth. So, you yeah. know, what's canon? They're the Cerberus. Now that's yeah. canon. It's definitely going to happen. So I've, I'm only a few hours into uh, Crisis Core Reunion and Adam was actually watching me stream it. And uh, one of my very first initial impressions unfortunately not an optimistic one i'm like man this game's kind of ugly like even like like even the the all the 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 remastered visuals it just i've heard verbally that you can clearly tell that it's based on the p it's not a remake it really is a remaster it's based on the psp skeleton and it's and once you actually see it in motion and like actually have to engage with the game like physically and not just watching a trailer you're like oh yeah i I definitely feel this you can see it in like animations especially you can I mean, see it in you can see it in the animations, especially where it's clearly like canned animations and characters sort of like rotating on their feet. Um, but, but the combat is like way better. So I mean, eh. 
That's that, yeah. I guess the the moment to moment gameplay got a little bit more of a spruce up than the uh, non full motion cutscenes. I guess I'll put it that way. Also, this is not this is not a hot take. This is a very consensus pick. But I I'm really having I'm really struggling with the new English voice cast. Uh, it's, it just feels feels like a step down from the from the remake cast i know some people criticize the remake english voice cast as well but those i never really had an issue with i, I enjoy those just fine I'm, I'm struggling a little bit more here it english voice actors tend to grow on me the more i the more time i give them so i'll see um i mean i agree and I think a I lot am. of people also felt this just like zach's older voice kind of seemed not only seemed to fit him more but seemed to just be kind of better done overall <laughs> yeah i think it's a pretty hard shoe to fill i mean i think the original actor is a uh, Go- I forgot his name. Is Gomez something? But he did a really good job. So it was pretty hard to like, like outclass him. Aerith, I don't think you run into Aerith yet, but she has the same voice as she does in remake, and so does Yuffie when you or not Yuffie. Uh, Yuffie's Yuffie's little in this game, but uh, Tifa has the same voice. But the thing is, it's just kind of like I feel like just the probably the English voice production. It, it's the fact that you're fitting it over like a PSP game with like stilted animations doesn't help. Probably just not trying as, to match. They're trying to match very yeah. low fidelity lip flaps, things right. like that. They have to time. It just is not as. It's not as. Yeah, there are other like I, I, I was going to say, like in the remake, the, those two sound excellent, but in the PSP game, I feel it's like the voice direction. It's like trying to tell them it's like emulate the PSP style, so their acting quality kind of goes down because of it or something. I don't know. Just goes to say that voice direction really matters. You can take a great voice actor and give him bad voice direction, and the result's not good. So, so, so I assume we'll hear a similar. So we'll kind of go the other direction with Zach's voice actor, assuming he has uh, a lot more of a of a prominent role in the rebirth with the better voice direction. And oh, I guess uh, kind of, of a... I'm going to bounce off of that. Let me bounce off of that. Okay. James, did you finish remake? Yeah. Yeah, I saw James tweet about like Zach because if you yeah, finish well, intermission, Zach is yeah, like you, right there, like it, he's there. Yeah, 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 it makes it like it's, it's very funny because I had not played well remake at all or intermission until like I finally finished it like this week, and it, it's so funny seeing people even like now act like, oh, is Zach gonna be in rebirth? Is Zach gonna be? In Re- is he alive? It's like if you played intermission, it's like. Yes, he's alive. <laughs> and he barges into the castle or into the church and everything. So he's there. I feel all these haters that hate Final Fantasy VII Remake just never played it. That's that's my opinion because this game is fantastic. I don't know how people can hate this. It, it's like I feel even gave it a six talking in RPG site before saying it's like, what the hell did they play? If this is a six, then what the hell is some other stuff? No. Really want to know. Dragon Quest Adventure uh, dies. Having this. having finished uh, Seven Remake, I'm just gonna say it. I I am so glad that Rebirth is coming out next year because I enjoyed Remake so much more than I enjoyed Sixteen. It's yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. But you know, if if people hated Seven and gave it a six in our site, it's like what is a sixteen to them? That's my opinion. I don't know. Different people like different things. You know? I know, but I want to know. It's like, what do you see that this game wow. is better? Well, I reviewed Remake. And it feels like forever ago. Uh, I gave it an 8, and I a lot of the criticisms were kind of linearity of it, which basically Rebirth seems to 
kind of address. Yeah, so and you also criticize like, things that nobody cares about or talks about anymore. Like, I remember one of the things that you were kind of hung up on was like, I have to go into the sewers again to find that one dude. Oh, yeah. Name, the, I forget. Uh, Leslie, I hated that chapter. You had to find I, Leslie. I, 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 I still hear, I still hear up, about that. Up, that's fair. You had to find Leslie's like memory, ring for his yeah. unnamed fiance. Just kind of like, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is. Basically, yeah, that one chapter been... was, yeah, that one chapter was the actual filler for the fucking game. It's like, if that I... chapter didn't exist, I would have scored at a point higher, probably. <laughs> I, I think there's only like two chapters I didn't d- dislike. Hojo's lab, I feel that was way bigger than it needs to be. It's like it's artificially extending That's... the game. It's sort of like the but... final dungeon in a way. Yeah, but it's also like when you think about the structure of it, like it, it's just like a, a yeah. lot of it, a lot of its structure just feels very, it's like, it, it kind of reminds me of like, remember Digital Devil Saga 2 when they made the airport a dungeon in that yeah. game? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is going on in this airport? <laughs> well, the thing is, is I think the framework of Rebirth is a little bit of a more open, wide linear is more conducive to being able to add little bonus dungeons or extra areas. When, when you're stuck to the more straight line linear both path and story of the midgar section of the game and then you say nope we're going to diversion back to the sewers fight apsu again or or whatever it feels a little bit more contrived where if you're out just in the world map and they added you know some bonus objectives that didn't exist in the original game it's a little bit more viable maybe i, I yeah. think that's what, i think that's what makes rebirth like really interesting it's like okay since you have such a big like playground to like play around in what does the dungeon design look like in that game can it be like more concise now and not feel so bloated for the sake of like you know kind of try to make a mountain out of a molehill almost yeah but my my main uh my one sentence summary then is i was kind of lukewarm on remake hence the eight out of ten but i'm really excited for rebirth all the same because i don't think it'll have those same same pitfalls so rebirth is definitely um you should vote for your most anticipated game on the RPG site. <laughs> now, now the only thing I'm now the only thing I'm wondering about is do I pick it up on PS5 at launch or do I wait a couple of months for the PC version? Because they keep saying only exclusive through the end of May. And it's okay. using the same engine, it's using a lot of the same framework. Is it possible we also get rebirth on PC in like June or July? And it also I, is, is it is it gonna be is it gonna be another thing of like if it's epic first, then Steam, or are they gonna be simultaneous? Yeah, yeah I I with think Square that goes. Square Enix is done with epic exclusives. At least I hope so. The All reason I feel is, like uh, they need to move Kingdom Hearts off of Epic now. I think Kingdom Hearts is a Disney thing and less yeah. a Square a Square Enix thing. Like the thing I always point to is that like Epic actually signed an agreement with with uh, Disney for like using Unreal Engine for like CGI in their films. Right. And my assumption was is that part of that deal was, hey, can we get Kingdom Hearts uh, on our like PC game storefront? Because that's the only explanation that makes sense. Because it's almost been three years and it hasn't come off. So, oh well, we'll see. It can't come off epic until I actually boot them up and play them. <laughs> oh, so you're the one holding the pop, right? Okay, all right. And that's the fucked up Kate thing. Hearts listeners, you know who's responsible now. And that's the fucked up thing is that like Kingdom Hearts 3's PC port is actually really fucking good. Yep. Yeah, but people just hate dealing with multiple launchers. Okay, I just want to have one thing and just call it a day. You know. 
this is really, really dumb, but like I keep getting emails from Amazon. Like oh, we talked about cyberpunk over the last like in September with the 2.0 stuff or whatever. And it's like I have the game on GOG because that's CD Projekt's storefront. But like all of like the you can get this whatever skin for like the Steam version of the game or the Epic version of the game or this is for the GOG version of the game or this is for like and it's just like a mess. And it's all inconsequential stuff that doesn't matter. But it's stuff like that that having the different storefronts just really kind of makes a soup to 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 process through just all the different delivery delivery streams and methods and codes and redeems and things like that. Yeah. But anyways, that that kind of covers my kind of smorgasbord of different things that I've played over the last week. Uh, so that alongside of Josh's and James. Uh, little talks. I think I kind of covered a bunch of different smaller titles from the back half of the year that we wanted to get to at least get a, a second look at before going to our last podcast of the year, which we'll record next week. Is there any other game we want to discuss at this time before going on to news? No, I think we're nope. good. That's it. That's, that's, that's I the last that about video games. I mean, I have played some other games, but I just didn't put enough time that I could kind of, you know, Give it a deep thought, so that's kind of like a problem. Like I, I guess since so, 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 so like this is technically our last like normal recording, I'm like thinking I'm like okay, what what are the new releases this uh, this month? Am I gonna get like besides Dragon Quest Monsters? Like the big the... two are Monsters and uh, Warhammer Rogue Trader. Those are the big at least for our right. site's coverage. Yeah, not not FF7 Ever Crisis on Steam. Hmm? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? <laughs> Right. Okay, I wonder uh, if that I wonder if that'll even work on Steam Deck. Probably not. <laughs> well, you you can try. I mean, that's what the OLED Steam Deck is for, isn't it? Specifically, the OLED Forever Crisis. But yeah, the last thing I played this week was I was playing Pocket Mirror, and I was trying to like get a good idea how how does this compare to a little goody two shoes. So, uh, will you be the little goody two shoes uh, champion next week? We'll find out. <laughs> I'll try. Before we go into news, there's a few shout outs. Uh, I know I've shouted out a couple times, but yeah, we do have our reader poll active through the month of December. So we'll be having this. Uh, if it's not pinned on our Twitter page, it should be. I'll make sure to do that after the podcast. But we'll be retweeting it throughout the month of December. We'll have our reader poll of an access to it. It's basically a Google sheet that you'll vote for uh, your favorite RPG or RPG game that we've covered, RPG adjacent game uh, from 2023, and then your most anticipated game that's currently slated or possibly slated for 2024. Invariably, always some of the things get delayed or pushed out, but it's just our best guess at this time. Uh, Adam, I know, spent a lot of time putting that together. Uh, so I'll thank you, Adam, for taking the, the time to do all the logistics for setting that up. If there is a game missing from the list, usually it's inadvertent. It's not us. It's not on purpose. So if you see something that you want to vote for that came out this year that you believe should be on the list, just uh, just reply to our, our, uh, our socials and we should be able to get that added for you. Um, yeah. We do have a couple late reviews for the year that have gone up in the last week. Uh, Paige was able to put up a review for Small Saga. So this is a game that, as far as I can tell, we did not cover Josh uh, about on it. the site. Yeah, I, I talked about it. I, like I, The, day, the oh. day that it came out, I basically bought and beat it within the same day. I thought it was oh, pretty okay. cool. Yeah. Oh, so it's, so, it's, so it's pretty brief then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it took me like less than 10 hours. So it's like maybe like oh, six okay. and a half hours. Yeah, it's, it's not a long game. It's a cool game, but uh, but it's a uh, yeah. Paige I, I and I were talking about it. 
I think Paige beat it also in one sitting and just wrote a review because it was so short, was it? Yeah, like, a, like a, uh, I was technically going to review but I was like, I, I got busy with some other stuff. So, I was, so she's like, you want me to review it? I'm like, yeah, go for it. I mean, no, I have no plans to like kind of review it immediately. So she mm-hmm. wrote up a fantastic review about it. So brief, brief little fun experience. It's uh, I, I recognize the artwork. It's got kind of the over the shoulder kind of a Dragon Questy perspective with like a mouse holding a like yeah, a it's more, yeah, it's more like Golden Golden Sun was the inspiration Golden for Sun, that. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah it's good, good. I guess I was thinking of Dragon Quest Three Remake, which was mm-hmm. still kind <laughs> when of when Dragon well. Quest Three Remake <laughs> was shown off. We're like, hey, this looks like <laughs> Golden Sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other review that went up on the site, uh, we got a review. It's a list is a little bit belayed, but came out uh, in October. This is Silent Hope. This is the uh, Marvelous RPG that released on PC and Switch. And this is the one that, Josh, you put in like an unreasonable amount of time in the demo. Is that correct? Or is that a different game? For, for Silent Hope, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I don't know. But anybody here that, hey, you can, you can get uh, different, different rare new weapons. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> Uh-huh. Did you ever actually play the full release, or did you? Just... I, I did. I, I played the full oh, release. Okay. I, I, I beat it. I, I beat all of the po- uh, I beat like one loop of the post game because there's like diff- other like higher difficulties. Like you can play the uh, mm-hmm. entire game plus post game in higher difficulties, but I didn't do that. You could if you want to, um, mm-hmm. but I poured a lot of like probably how, what is my Steam time on? My God, it's like now. Now I'm wondering. Fuck. Uh, uh, Silent. I'm gonna guess sixty-two hours. Twenty-one point three. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not. Okay, I shot. I shot. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but, but, but I. It's a charming game. It's not like groundbreaking or shoddy. But it's a. It's a, it's a fine game. It's a thing. Yeah. So Nathan was able to do a formal written review for us on the site. So go ahead and check out his review for Silent Hope. And then Paul, master of the RPG site Op-Ed, wrote up a feature of all games. Quest 64. So, if you are a longtime follower of the site, you do know that we have kind of been a little bit, I don't know what the word is, joking about Quest 64. We've been a little bit uh, like insincere about it, kind of as like a, in a meme jokey way. We've kind of not done that recently. That was, that was a prior era RPG site, I suppose. Uh, but Paul took a more sincere look at the game about how it, you know, its place, as awkward as it is in terms of like RPG history, RPG retro gaming, um, and I think is advocating for it to be available to play in a modern setting, if not a remake, at least making it available <laughs> to play on like Nintendo Switch Online, uh, regardless of what you think of the game or how it's received. So just a fun little curious op-ed uh, from Paul up on the site for Quest 64 begging for a second wind. I think I remember reading game magazines when I was a kid. The hype that was like the greatest thing ever. And you play it, it's like, man, this game sucks. I'm going back to Final Fantasy Seven. What are you talking about, Chow? It's clearly the best RPG for Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. Is there no RPGs for Nintendo 64? What about <laughs> Wonder Project? That's the joke. <laughs> Arguably, it's the best RPG ever, you know. Some I'm, people say. I'm putting my vote for Wonder Project J2. No, you made that one nah, up. It sucks compared to Quest sixty four. Objectively, mm-hmm. yep. Go ahead and give those uh, the small saga review, the Silent Hope review, and the Quest sixty four uh, feature a read on the site. 
We do have a handful of decently sized announcements here in the last. Uh, now that I'm looking at the news posts, I'm like, man, we're going to have to like bunch up all the remaining news of the year. And at some point in January, we'll have to like cover it all in a big bunch. Hey, Anyways, I, remember, I remember like uh, um, this upcoming week, uh, the, the Game Awards is happening and we can't do uh, a podcast on that news. Because <laughs> uh, recording. What if, what if, what if Grand Theft Auto Six is an RPG? No, no. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not. I'm just gonna refuse to cover it. Okay, I, I don't want to be the one to cover it. Fuck that. <laughs> All right. So starting out with a few announcements. Uh, this one, I don't think we had. I, I was when I read this headline, um, and I'm kind of coming to these after coming off my vacation. So I did watch all these trailers before the podcast. This is an announcement of a companion game for Penny Blood. So Penny Blood was the kickstarted game that is a spiritual successor to the Shadow Hearts series uh, that was announced alongside the Wild uh, Wild Arm spiritual successor, which was what was that? Uh, Wild Fantasia. Arm Fantasia. Arm Fantasia. Arms Fantasia. Yeah. And then what was announced this week is a um, companion game called Penny Blood Hellbound. So I remember I read in the Discord, Adam immediately compared this to Aiden Chronicle Rising. Very similar, where it seems like this is a game that is slated to come out within a year, summer 2024, while the while Penny Blood is being worked on as kind of sort of like an uh, an appetizer, so to speak. Only where uh, Aiden Chronicle Rising was kind of like this side-scrolling, side-scrolling action RPG, this is more of a roguelike where when I watch it, it's got the isometric view. It reminds me of something like Hades. Um, it, it very much invokes Hades. Like, it's yeah, so. probably an inspiration. Like, even just like the character art, it's not... I mean, yeah. not as good as Hades, but it's like, okay, I see... The inspiration. Yeah. But also, you didn't mention that this is actually developed by the same studio as Aiden Chronicle Rising, Natsume Atari. That's, it. That's kind of a, a fun niche to be in, though. Like, I don't know. if you just, We if are you now developing IP, companion games, I guess. If you see someone else's IP that you think you can do like an interesting twist on, like, hey, here's our idea. They they kind of, you know, pilot that. And then if, that, if that's a viable for them, that's kind of an interesting kind of little niche to be in. I don't I, know. I, I guess there's going to be access on, like, there's going to be a close beta on this, like, starting up very soon on December 14th for, like, start, I guess, a certain, back, a certain backer tier yeah. or something like that. So, you know. Yeah. So there, there, there's a, if you go to the news post, there's like a, a timeline, like a roadmap. Mm-hmm. It, there's basically a beta for backers, like, next week or yeah, two weeks from now. And then there's going to be an mm-hmm. early access release that you can buy, like, in February. And then in mm-hmm. summer next year, it'll be the full release. That's their plan. It feels like it feels like ancient history. But did did Aiden Chronicle Rising do that, or was that just a straight no, release? Just released. Okay. All right. And then I don't know if people who are excited for Penny Blood are interested in. That's one of those things where well, they take they take this IP, which is kind of based on another IP, and then they kind of change the genre. I, I think I think if if people just want to like get to like see the characters and like kind of see I a mean, little bit of the world. You know? Yeah, I've talked about this before. Yeah, like when I backed this this Kickstarter, but like I'm I'm not one of those people who like has my eyes glued to all the updates and like 
every single little character reveal or location reveal or concept art. Like, no, I'll just back it. I'm interested in this game. I played the Shadow Heart series and then like, let me know when it's like about to come out, right? Um, so I don't know anything about the game other than like the main character is named Matthew. And I guess there's like an other group called the Hellhounds. And this game, this uh, new game, Hellbound, is about the Hellhounds. So it's like, oh, okay, I guess I will may play this game and maybe get introduced to some of these characters that will probably show up in Penny Blood, right? I mean, kind of the same thing with it's how you It's a more Chronicle organic Rising, way to learn right? them rather rather than just like uh, drilling through press releases. Yeah, rather, yeah, exactly. Like rather than just reading like a description on a, on a Kickstarter update. I guess it's also important to like at the end of the day, it's not really taking away resources from the main development team doing this as well because it's a whole separate development studio working on this. It's not like taking away yeah. from the actual main development of Penny Blood. I was going to ask, when you play Aiden Chronicle, what was your approach with the game? Because you're playing a spin-off of a game that hasn't come out yet. So what was like the approach? Like You go in there... I played and... it like another video game, and no expectation, just kind of just enjoyed it for what it is. Yeah, so I reviewed Aiden Chronicle Rising. I don't think it's a great game, but I was a bit lenient on it. Just I gave it a 7. You could have argued, nah, it's actually a 6, or whatever. But like... My thought was, this is like a $15 companion game from a side studio, not a full price release. This isn't the main course. You know, it's just kind of meant to be a teaser. It introduced me to several of the characters that will show up in the main game. And, you know, I'm interested to see what CJ and Isha and whoever, uh, Karu and all these characters, I'm interested to see them now in the main game. Like, how do they contribute? Yeah. Because I played Rising, and that's kind of the whole yeah, point. But, but, so, but they showed like artwork for like the main three from Rising into, into the main. It's like holy shit! Look how they how, uh, look at that. How they updated what, their designs. Why is now. CJ wearing a suit now? Yeah, looks good. Exactly. It's not what I expected. I, 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 like me, I have like some like like a, a little form of emotional investment in those characters now because of Rising. What, what's the name of the magical girl? I forget. But like, I want to see the magical sure, girl. Right? Oh wait, oh no, the um, oh yeah, that's right. What was her name? Sure. <laughs> Marionette? I don't know. I don't remember. This is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna bug. She had she had a funny role in Rise because she was like a runaway. <laughs> Melor, Melor, yeah, yeah, Melor. that sounds right. I, I remember it started with an M, like Marion. I actually wrote this down somewhere. They said there's gonna be seven characters from uh, Rising that'll be playable in Aiden Chronicles. Oh, here it is. Probably these are the characters besides uh, Isha, CJ, and Garou that will probably show up in Aiden Chronicle Rising. Hogan, Ayugo, Malor, Gakto, Frida, Hurstwine, and Squash. Those characters. Squash. I know, I know one, Squash, I know one he's of those the, is the alligator. He's the bird. Hogan's yep. the alligator. Yep. But yeah, so you can take that and take a similar kind of mindset with Penny Blood Hellhound, Hellbound. Right. Um, for into the uh, the main game there. Yeah, unlike Rising, like like we mentioned, this this update roadmap, like it, they actually add substantial things throughout this development. They're acting, adding voice acting, they're adding you know, like obviously more content, more playable characters, but they're also adding like online multiplayer launching for its official release as well. So it's like it's like the scope of this project is it seems like it's going to be way more. It seems to be a way bigger scope than like what Rising was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, pans out. The other game that was uh, kind of re-announced uh, in the last week 
is a game called Unforetold Witchstone. Now, this is not a brand new announcement. This is a game that's actually been in development quite a while under the tentative title Project Witchstone from back in like the 2019 timeframe. And this is a game that actually has been present before the pandemic timeframe at, uh, it was either uh, PAX or another one of those kind of like EGX type expos. And I was actually able to go hands-on with it feels like an ancient time, you know, four years ago or so. And then I had kind of forgotten it. They had initially planned to release Project Witchstone in like 2020, 2021. But, you know, of course, everyone's plans got upended there. And so now the developer Spearhead Games has announced that Unforetold Witchstone will launch for early access on January 25th of next year, 2024. So it is a... It's kind of the way I would describe this is it's like a CRPG. When I played it, it reminded me a lot of the Divinity games in terms of Original Sin, Original Sin 2, in terms of the camera perspective, how the turn based combat works, how like the interacting with the field works. Um, but with a higher influence on what they call reactive influence in terms of like choice and consequence, whatever you want to, you know, buzzword you want to call it for an RPG system. And it's got more of a kind of a, uh, primary colored art style it's a little bit like got bold bright colors um and a little bit more like retro stylings to it even though it's got the full hd um resolution to it so they announced uh, they announced the early access release in january along with the press release and a new trailer and a bunch of uh um new art new ass new logo for the new title um some ui elements and things like that so i'm not sure i am super gelling with like what they're showing in terms of the art or the theme. But I do know from when I went hands-on, I really enjoyed the gameplay that they showed like five years ago at this point. Uh, so I'm eager to see, like, I'm glad this game didn't become vaporware and it took them longer than they planned, but it was able to get get our hands on it uh, within a year now that they've gotten into a playable um, state that they're willing to release on early access. So excited to see how this goes. And I hope it's something that's uh, going to be successful for them because I'm glad they're able to survive the... Uh, the struggles of the pandemic in terms yeah. of being a small development studio right. on what I believe is their debut game. My, my takeaway from it was um, it's 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 definitely your traditional CRPG, but you're really for initiative. Wait, wait, wait! We're talking about Unforetold. Yeah, it's yeah. not their it's not their debut game. They made Omen Sight. Oh, and it's they not made, theirs. They made Stories: The Path of Destinies. Path of Destiny. Mm. Okay. So, all right, I've yeah. heard of Omen Sight. I haven't heard of the other one. So, never mind. But yeah. still, the, uh, I, Zach did uh -huh. on our site. I wasn't here yet. That's my excuse. <laughs> uh, but all I know is there's a CRPG that has dinosaurs in it, and that's cool. You know, if you have dinosaurs in your game, it's usually a play. Sorry for forgetting about this review that was written in April 2016. <laughs> I'm looking but... through the artwork. One of the artwork looks like a triceratops with like a, like a pink head and a pig nose. And like a turtle shell on its back. I feel so like deep. I explained the the art style kind of poorly, but it's like high resolution, low poly. I don't know how you do, I don't know how you like talk about how you describe that, but we'll another, have the trailer up on the site. Another one of the art is like it's like a train, but it looks like a jet. It has like a magic sigil at like popping out of it from the top. It looks fucking weird. I don't know. You have to go check the news post look at the artwork. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person. Well, maybe maybe we'll put it in the thumbnail. Maybe not. We'll see. So here's something that we kind of knew was happening, and this is none of this information is quite a surprise, but 
we had the level five vision 2023 2 live stream event which is talking about kind of the the bundle of level five games that were all kind of announced in uh in a group earlier in the year all initially all or most initially slated for 2023 we were expecting that they were going to get delayed we kind of got that information this last week so level five had new trailers for a lot of their games um i'll just kind of go them in order so these are all kind of bundled in a combo news post up on the site about the Vision 2023 2 event. So Fantasy Life, The Girl Who Steals Time was officially delayed to summer 2024 alongside a uh, a new trailer. Uh, Megaton Musashi Wired was the only one of the set that got a specific release date for the next year. So that one, and that's uh, the again, the kind of the re-release, like I don't know what you call that up port of the original Megaton Musashi before a global release this time uh, with some extra content is going to be coming out on April 25th, 2024. Inazuma 11 Victory Road was just slated for generic 2024. Um, for PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, and mobile devices, there is some rumors about an investor call that implied that Inazuma 11 might be coming to Steam, but as far as I can tell, not officially announced. Yeah, the website doesn't uh, mention it, trailers don't mention it, so it's like maybe maybe it's coming later or something. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but uh, slated for 2024. And then uh, Police was the one that was also delayed into 2024 or later, um, did not get a new trailer. All the other ones I mentioned did get some new footage. Uh, but Tekka Police was just slated to say, hey, it's, it's still coming out on PS4, PS5, and Nintendo Switch um, for 2024 or later. So I don't think anything here other than the Megaton Musashi Wired release date uh, that was surprising. But of course, having the new footage is, is nice to have. We have all these trailers kind of bundled together uh, up on the site if you just want to see what some more of the preview gameplay looks like. Um, Dang, nice, nice vision. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. Okay, that's crazy, right? Because they had this... They had their Vision 2023, the first event, like somewhere between February or March this year. It's like, this is the year of level five. We're fucking nailing it. We're going to release all these bangers. Fuck you. Then here we are, December or whatever, or the end of November when this, here's our second Vision 2023 event. We've never done a sequel to a Vision in the same year, but here we are. And our vision is we're delaying everything. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, it is funny. It's also sad, but also it's like, again, at, as the only person in this call that's played most of these games, at least uh, like during TGS, it's like, I have confidence that when these release, they're going to be good. Hopefully. So, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't want any of them to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we're uh, like, we're not laughing at like, how dare they delay these? It's just more the, it's more circumstantial or more just like, the 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 fact that they're kind of having this new like framework yeah, for yeah. showing their games and then kind of bundling them all together in this way. Now they're all coming this year. Oh wait, they're all coming next year. So more of the just, circumstance. Yeah. Not I'll not, just not, yeah. I'll not just cool. say this, uh, Deca Police. If it is coming out next year, please be late next year. Early next year is too fucking crowded. <laughs> I feel Just, like if it comes out next year, it will be late next year. So I think you're good. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 I, I'm trying to remember if level five themselves said like, yeah, this is the year of level five, uh, man. Cause it, uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, they did because it's also, I believe the 25th anniversary of the company or something, or is it the 30th? I, I know it's a big, 
I think it's the I, 25th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I know when I had my appointment with them at TGS, I got a bun- like a grab bag of stuff. And one of the things they had was this like booklet going really in- honestly, I should take pictures of it and put put it on Twitter. But like it was a booklet of like all this uh the company's history going over some of the stuff, like everything they made and also like talking about the games that they're working. I need to find that one second. Yeah. It's like, it's just like, it's just like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the year level five delayed. So if, if, if I say I'm, I'm going to play, like I am kind of, all of these would kind of be like outside of my normal, like bubble. If I should play one of these, I'm, I'm leaning towards either Deca police or, Megaton Musashi. Um, I think I think you would probably like Mega Police more than Megaton Musashi because Megaton Musashi is it's like more of a simplistic. You need to really have like I guess a, a passion for like the whole building robots aspect, which I, that mm. seems to like lean a lot on. It's like the it seems like the action combat is more on the simplistic side, but you kind of just like it's stage based, right? It's not like a your typical like RPG flow, which seems like Mega Police is going. For. So they don't have a Professor Layton listed here for this for next yeah, year, is it? No, no, because because Layton is isn't an RPG. That's why we didn't. Oh, cover but it. I just want to know: is it like it's twenty twenty five? Yeah, that's twenty twenty five. Oh, damn! That's yeah, that's longer than I that's, thought. Yeah, it's uh, you'll be, yeah. I think that was the one that was furthest out of their set. Yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, I think out of all these, like you know, obviously Deca Police is definitely super interesting, but I think Inazuma Eleven as well seems to be like a very like. Uh, like an almost like it's the next big Inazuma Eleven, but it's like an almost a, a celebration title as well. So how many characters a lot are of playable? Like, I know it's like a fucking a lot of like I guess DLC like or expanders or whatever that will add like. So you're not going to believe this from, from every I, Inazuma Eleven. It's like it, it seems very crazy and very. So I found the book. Crazy. You're not going to believe this, but uh, I, I <laughs> apparently there was already some concept art for the new Laden along with like a like a picture from like a cg like in development like in the book that i got tokyo game show yeah it's like i'm looking through and it's like i should probably take a closer look at this because there might be some information about the games that nobody else has noticed yet because a lot as far as i can tell you only got this at tgs i was very i very undershot my guess i was like how many characters like 300 no 4,500, 4,500. Yeah. And Inazuma well, 11. Well, I, 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 will, I, I will give Inazuma 11 Victory Road a shot because it seems crazy what they're doing it's with super it. Super ambitious, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I've always wanted to try the Inazuma 11 series because it is basically soccer or football proper. Uh, RPG. So we're Americans, most of us. Um, I was writing yeah, this news post. It's owned by, <laughs> by in yeah. UK, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Our official address is in the UK. So, anyways, I was writing up this news post on this site. I I made a joke about it. I called it a football RPG. As an American, it's like you're in pain (laughs) as you're typing that. Like, uh. (laughs) it's not football, really, though. Yeah, like you know, being Chinese myself, when I first moved to Canada, my dad loves soccer. But I say, let's watch football. That's what it says on TV. And he watches like, what the fuck is this crap? Uh, that's a, that, that's always the, the the funny thing about Spanish, where like you know, soccer is football, f u t b o l, and then they call like proper like you know, United States football as football Ameri- americano. Yep. There, mm-hmm. 
great. Yeah, a lot of these games look very interesting in one way or the other. Because uh, I know even Fantasy Life is, you know, it's targeted specifically for that Switch audience. It's a Switch exclusive, right? Uh, yep. That's what I have yep. listed here in my notes and hasn't been announced for anything else. But it seems like definitely it's sort of game that could be very successful uh, in that market. Um, we talked so about even, it before. There are a lot of Fantasy yeah. Life fans. And we yeah, have to apologize to them like, each time we talk about it because it's just not yeah, very one of those well like sneaky it. big fan bases that are very passionate and are very excited about getting a release date for that. And that one they did say summer, so hopefully that will be the next one that they. Uh, uh, I'll give it a shot because uh, I needed something to scratch my Rune Factory itch. You know. Yeah, because it's, kind of, it's kind of like Rune Factory adjacent. There are two new Rune Factory games in development. Who knows? When oh, will they come out in twenty twenty four? Though that's know. the question. We have more of our release dates later in the podcast, uh, but I put this one up front because it's a little bit more of a, I guess, marquee or big, big entry. And this is a release date and new main trailer for Dragon's Dogma 2. It leaked on Steam right before the official announcement, like a day or so before. But Dragon's Dogma 2 will be releasing on March 22nd, 2024, alongside the announcement of the release date. Capcom released a new, basically, main trailer. So it's a pretty lengthy trailer that covers a lot of both gameplay and story. Even though a lot of the story elements are just kind of like cutscenes that are snipped together, so I don't know if you can really like follow a through line for them, but it does it does show plenty of gameplay, a lot of you know exactly what you want to expect from Dragon's Dogma, a lot of big monsters, a lot of really fancy spell effects, a lot of pretty fairly wide open you know exploratory areas, um, a lot of new art uh, and things like that. So it makes me really excited for this game. We also got a lot of new screenshots showing like how the pawn system. Uh, we got some. Some more information that's a little bit a little bit of repeat from kind of when the game was announced about how this game takes place across two nations, the uh, the human nation and the beast run nation, uh, the pawn systems returning, some of the different classes like uh, tricksters and some of the returning classes like magic archers. So, yeah, they they showed off the new trickster vocation here, and it looks freaking awesome. It, it rely it's like your main weapon. It's like some sort of like lantern, I believe, and it's like it it, it focuses on. Um, like creating illusions, um, so it's almost like a, a quasi summoner class with illusions. Really interesting to confuse uh, enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, they also uh, mentioned more in depth about the story. Like in the first game, it was a, it was very pretty straightforward. The premise, like you're, and just like in this game, you take the roles of an arisen. Uh, Grigori is back. Um, steals the heart uh, of what would be become the Arisen, um, and you have, you know, pawns under your control as being the Arisen. Now, in this game, compared to the first game, like, and the first game was a very kind of almost one-dimensional relationship between pawns and the Arisen, because you had the, the, the Nation of Grand Soren as, like, kind of your main hub, as and kind of the, the main uh, hub for civilization, as you know it, in the first Dragon's Dogma game. While in this one, the Nation of, you know, humans and Bishgren, uh, one nation is sort of uh, favors and looks upon like the pawns that arisen. Uh, you know they they have a positive impression of them, while the other nation has a negative impression of them. And you also have now um, elves into the uh, adding elves into the mix. Uh, the main story uh, trailer shows the existence of elves. They communicate with you through their own language, so you can't actually decipher what they what they're saying. It's a kind of sort of like an elven language that you can't you don't know exactly. They're, Kind of, it's almost like a made-up language 
uh, based on how they're saying it. But um, your pawns can learn a specialty to actually translate it for you. So there's actually pawn specializations, and one of them is Elven language specialization. You can actually teach pawns to, you know, interpret the language. So that just really opens up, like, what other pawn specializations are in store if you if that if it gets that specific in uh, engaging with the world. So really, really I'm interesting. I'm very story. interested in this game, and I haven't played the original. So that just means mm-hmm. I should watch the anime, right? That's right. There you go. Totally forgot that, that exists. <laughs> I, play, I, I play a bit of the original. Uh, I, I actually, I actually do. It, I actually do plan on playing this in January because mm-hmm. January is sort of a light it's month sort of a light for me. Before I'm not. I haven't. I'm not caught up to date. I like a dragon. I would. So I would actually say that um, two might be similar enough to the first game that I would say if you can no. squeeze it in in December. No, no. I, I'd say you still still play the first one. To be honest, I mean like, you don't have to play. Oh, the no, first no, no, one no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying say skip it. Yeah, I'm not saying skip it. I'm saying if if you can't if you can squeeze it in in December to give it a little bit more room from two, I I would maybe recommend it. Yeah, but after our game of the year podcast, I want to play some stuff that we can yeah. talk about then. Makes sense, yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, this looks like I, I'm always impressed every time they show this game the the, the quality of like the the technical aspects, the amount of animation mm-hmm. work and physics going on in this. It looks really cool. <laughs> I mean, and March, March, March 22nd is actually a pretty good time because like the like you have March 8th is Unicorn Overlord, and it is assuming that like. You get some buffer time in between because you're gonna probably gonna wanna you know work on Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Is but, assuming, but before. another but another Megaton RPG lands on March twenty second. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely uh-huh. for sure. What? What's the Megaton <laughs> RPG? We haven't talked about it yet. I think it was on our list here, but I'll jump ahead. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, it's it's near the end. Go the ahead. Legend of Legacy HD remastered. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I, I'll tell you a, a secret. So I was asked to work on uh, Alliance Alive Guide in 2019, and uh-huh. I sort of dropped the project at like chapter eight ish mm-hmm. around because I had to do Cold Steel guides, and for some stupid reason. I decided to update my Alliance Alive guy four years later. I wonder what those people will think. They're so bad that this guide was never finished. Oh, man. But, hey, at least it's not Legend of Legacy, you know? I mean, Legend of Legacy is, like, it's it's a it's a weird place in time to, like, re-release this game because you're re-releasing it after Alliance Alive. I think that's sort of where the, the main rub is. It's like yeah, I think Legend Alive of Legacy... Alive is pretty... I think Legend of okay. Legacy is okay, but I think what people really need to know is there's practically no story. None. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. literally, you get, like, two sentences, and then it's just battle and uh, exploration. And I think its systems are fine. I don't think they're good enough that you can basically omit everything else. Uh, I'm more of a game. Like, whenever like people say like sh- like if people were to say Legend of Legacy or Alliance Alive, I would always go with Alliance Alive because it's pretty much the same know, gameplay. Like, yeah, with story. Just, pretty um, much. It, it, uh, Alliance Alive is pretty much a much more refined version of Legend of Legacy that was a direct response to people's issues with Legend of Leg- Legacy. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're looking for like a, a, a prototype version of Alliance Alive, and this is like a curiosity pickup, gas, but it's. It's it's a very weird project. Still, I don't. I, I I'm all for it in the sense of like of like game preservation, 
making right. uh, having a modern release of this, you know, making it available. It's so weird. It's like why now? They should have released this first instead of Alliance Live. I... <laughs> but that, that 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 that's also a weird thing. Is it's like it's now it'd be complaints like where the fuck is Alliance Alive? We're tired of like here for years. Don't, don't worry, know. maybe I pulled the same vote by delaying my Alliance Live guy for like four years. Uh, I finally got nothing on my plate, so maybe I can work on it. I mean, you know, God bless the people who are getting Legend, Legend of Legacy on uh, release March 22nd. We also have some uh, new details about the upcoming Hoyoverse game. Uh, Zenless Zone Zero. This is uh, the kind of the urban retro future RPG that was announced, I think, back in 2022, or was it older than that? Yeah, 2022. Uh, it's in its second closed beta. Um, and this is actually something that Josh Tolentino from RPG Site was able to get access to. So he actually wrote up a uh, a pretty lengthy, very thorough preview of the the new beta. And then in addition to that, we got some new character trailers for the initial trio of characters uh called the cunning hairs so if you've seen any of the footage or screen caps these are probably like the three most primarily featured characters uh you've got um billy kid in the red jacket you've got anby who's got like the headphones and the green jacket and then you've got uh nicole who has like the pink hair and the black ribbon pigtails but yeah so i haven't really been following the reception of this beta but I kind of get the vibe that it hasn't been well received uh, for multiple different reasons, both for gameplay and for uh, accusations of censorship based on the initial reveal versus what we got now. And then also just um, when I looked at Josh Tolentino's preview of the game, a lot of the gameplay comparisons seem to not be to Genshin or to um, Star Rail, but rather to Honkai Impact 3rd. Which I guess had is a more of an acquired taste, but I can't really speak to that. So I don't know. I don't, Chow, you seemed like you had some impressions about Zone Zero, even though you haven't gotten into the beta. My my impression of the game is I don't know. People seem very dis- divisive about it because the UI is very clunky. It, it looks like uh, someone made a pin interest post, and you and it would be all the shit clogger in your screen. And then the only way that you would know that which one's a side quest is like you look at the blue text out of all the, the pin interest thing that's thrown on your screen. It's like the UI is just a mess. But it's like trying to try to be all stylish and stuff, you know? It's like, but as a gameplay-wise, like, it's not intuitive, you know? And uh, well, yeah, let's see, yeah, so I, I guess, like, the problems are twofold, right? Like, uh, like first, before we go to the censorship stuff, like, like gameplay-wise, like, the impression that I get is just that the it feels boneless because it feels like you're just kind of wailing on enemies and like each of your individual hits don't really do much damage and you're only really putting in combos and hits to like fill up this daze meter in which you're actually gonna get damage when they're stunned and needs limits and chain attacks and so forth. But it feels like you're you all your it feels like your basic main attack strings are all in service of just not damaging the enemy but kind of doing minuscule damage to fill up this meter and which you'll be able to do real damage to enemies, which in my experience from other action games just doesn't feel good, in my opinion. I feel like I'm just kind of all, all my attacks feel borderline meaningless in service of like filling up an arbitrary thing in which I actually get to play the game. Almost. You know? That doesn't feel great. Um, so I can see why, why people have issues with that aspect of it. And also it's just like it, another aspect of it's like there's like just no 
sense of like team building or team synergy because your characters can just be your characters your other characters are mainly used for like a parry mechanic to swap to them but there's not really some sort of like what am i building this team towards is it like for a specific goal or it's just because i just need to have filler characters in there to like, you know they want to have cooler numbers that's that's the traditional gotcha thing to aim for isn't it so it's but, kind of an interesting and it's, i've also heard like people say say like yeah like i've kind of just not i just kind of stopped playing the main game just like played the mini games like the snake mini game i played yeah like every content game. creator i see has <laughs> just got bored of the gameplay they feel it's spamless or it just keeps spamming shit it's so easy to the point you could just press spam those buttons and you know and you're done but you know if they're not interested in the game itself it's like i don't think that's a good sign but i hear china is very receptive of this game they love this beta so if they're happy about it you know that means there might be no change to the overall game because people from the western side they were hoping you know some changes to the gameplay to improve it you know but if they're open to it like i I don't know like is it is it too late to like make changes and also if 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 not what kind of changes would you make to this to to, to really obviously they would make it a little different i think one of the problems that they complain about is like a lot of the characters their ultimates all feel the same Hmm. and they don't really have their own unique identity okay that's one of the things and there's this also thing other thing where the whole entire world you have to explore these things called hollows it's like this tv mm-hmm. world and it kind of ruins the momentum of the game okay. and that becomes like a core aspect of it but like yeah. it's like it feels like this game is so deep now it's like i don't think they're going to make any major changes and if one side of your audience is so happy with the game and the other isn't but what are they going to do just cater to the to the majority and just forget about the west would this game be like dead on arrival for the West and and group Bacon China or something? I don't know. I just don't know where this game's headed to. You know, it seems really weird. Yeah, like I don't, I don't like the the trifecta of like Mihoyo close betas between Genshin, Honkai Star Rail, and Zenla Zone Zero. I feel like this has been the most divisive out of those close betas. Like Genshin and Honkai Star Rail feel comparatively there were there were issues with the gameplay itself, but not as much as this. I feel. Like I, I know people complain about Honkai Star Rail being too simple, like mm-hmm. when they were playing the beta. It's like, oh yeah, you only got two skills. That's it. And yeah, it does sound simple on paper, but gameplay wise, there's actually a lot of uh, mechanics you could do. It's kind of like playing. You had to know how to adjust your speed and turn order later on if you want to clear some of the difficult bo- bosses, right? And that became like a real kind of like IQ fury crafting, like with with like stat management, which you really didn't get a good look at the beta because you didn't really get enough tools to play around, right? I wonder if the if similar situation is like, is, is it just too, we're just too, too early into like the actual meat of the game to understand like where Mahoyo wants, what Mahoyo wants to do with this game? Who knows? That's yeah, but like I'm, I'm not totally interested in it. I think, like in my opinion, I. I think having just one gotcha game is already too many. <laughs> That's me. So yeah, and, uh, you're not wrong. You know, like plus, like Project Mugen is trying to like. It's probably this is the that project is probably this game's direct competitor, um, and that seems to be you know shaping up. Let's see how what what happens like in between like closed betas and up to release. But there's also like other all, all sorts of like action, um, you know, games that. Um, 
serve as a direct competitor as well. Like I forgot the name of the game, the one that um you, me, and Josh too looked at, like the the one that looked like Warframe. Um, what was it called? Fuck, I forgot. Fuck. Was it? Yeah, I, I forgot. You linked me the trailer to it. It looks cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah. that looks cool too. So I mean, it's just it's it just the the market gets keeps on getting more and more crowded over time. Like for gotcha games, it has to be super good before I play it, especially when it comes from MiHoYo because they're one of the stingiest like games when it comes to gotcha games. And, and it feels like it feels like we're we're, we're we're in the middle of like this whole wave change in that in that um landscape with a lot of like older of those mobile gotcha games shutting down. But like between like we're gonna get into it. Oh, like the city Opera Omnia uh, closing down at the end of February, both Japanese and global servers. Hey, it lasted um, seven years, is it? Seven years, eight? yeah. Yeah, that's, I think it's that's, six. That's very good. good. No, most most games don't last more than three, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, also had the long-running Symphogear um, mobile game closing down. Um, and I think there's like a few others as well that announced for end of service as well. But you just see this wave change of like, hey, these older games are, they just can't compete anymore. And, uh, and to be competitive now in this in this market, you have to sort of go along the lines of like what Mihoyo is doing because that's where the money is that's where it's making bank for better uh, or for worse yeah for worse. I'm definitely not happy for it but there's also one thing I forgot to mention about this game is that <laughs> if copies of Honkai Impact's third uh, uh, questing system where it costs stamina to do the main story and oh, uh, stamina oh, to do side quests yeah Josh brought that up in uh, his review uh, Tolentino like I thought, you know, maybe they abandoned the system because they they abandoned that in Genshin and Honkai. But it seems like we're going backwards again. So, so someone who's not played any of these, I have to wonder. Maybe this is a dumb question. Call me out if it is. But at at one point, Mihoyo is going to like cannibalize their own audience, right? Because Honkai Impact Three still gets updates too, right? It's just not worldwide. And then Genshin and Star Rail are worldwide. And I was in the Zone Zero. Doesn't have a release date yet. But I imagine there's a lot of audience crossover. People only have so much, you know, bandwidth for these sorts of mm-hmm. games, right? I feel yeah. like eventually it's going to be over overserved in Apparent, a way. Apparently, like already, there's like there's data that suggests that like Honkai Star Rail did not increase the amount of money going into Hoyoverse because while it's been very successful on its own, at the same time, Genshin has had a noticeable decline and we don't know if that's necessarily because of star rail but as of right now we can't disprove that people moved over from genshin to star rail like i mean we have one data point right here ciao so yeah, i mean I, I basically focused that as my main gotcha game instead of genshin you know that's for me but the thing I mean, is you're not gonna friend, go over to Zemus. but my friend is like basically saying it's like at the end of the day your money's your wallet still ends up in Mihoyo's pockets, so what's the what's the damage then? I guess you know, that's kind of like how it goes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, there's still like, regardless of even if Genshin's seen a dip, it's kind of like when uh, World of Warcraft went from like 10 million active to like 6 million active. It's like they still have 6 million active subscribers. Uh, I saw some people trying to estimate Genshin numbers, but it's really hard because you have to speculate and estimate a lot. Something like how out at the peak it might have had 8 million. And now it's down to four, but then you offset that with how many people are now buying into Star Rail, you know, sort of thing where it's it's really hard to kind of predict exactly what went where and trace and who who are newcomers or who's just transferred over and nothing really concrete. 
So you don't want to treat any of it as gospel. But but yeah, I, I think it's gonna it's just uh, becomes a, a weirder and weirder market because um it, it's no longer Japan's not no longer like the dominant nation in terms of like this mm. mobile gotcha space. Like like two of the top like high highest selling uh, game mobile gotcha games in Japan are not from Japanese developers. It's like Nikkei and Blue Archive, and those are both Korean developed. So it, it just and it, it's just one. Of, it's just very weird. Like at some point, there's I feel like there's a breaking point very soon, but I don't know where, where, how that's going to pan out. So hard to compete anymore. If you're not if you're not if you're not breaking in millions or have this momentum like those games do, then what do you do? But being yeah. an optimist, uh, so this this game doesn't even have a release window yet. I don't think they even said 2024. So hopefully people's um, concerns with the gameplay feeling like spammy or not feeling like weighty is something that they can address uh, before full release. Like, I think the worst part about that feedback that they're asking from the players, they're too they're too hard on the, the censorship and forgot about the game. It's like, I feel like that the opinion's too too clouded on that. It's like, the game has issues. I think you should focus on the game first instead of the censorship. You get the game fixed. So, lay it to me straight. Uh, what is the censorship? So, one of the main characters, uh, Nicole, is very fan servicey, and that's fine. It is what uh, it just, is. And just boot size the... nerves. Just a simple... Oh, really? It's a, it's a, oh, okay. it's usual. It's straightforward. Okay. Yeah, and it's, and it's not the first time for, like, Mihoyo games. Like, like up to close beta, to full release, and even, and even some, like, post-release uh, patches... You know, they've they've definitely updated character designs to make proportions like less. You know, obviously, obviously I, like I wish the game is not censored, but still, it's just like you know, there's bigger issues with this game than than the yeah, yeah, and, and also like they have like whether you like it or not, they have to comply with whatever laws that the Chinese government might be about, like you know, might influence on the game design as well. Like you can't. Like at the end of the day, ideally they wouldn't be censored at all. But when it comes to the government kind of knocking on your door about it, it's like, well, what do you want us to do? <laughs> I, if, I if bet they wouldn't complain and... if they made her boobs bigger, though. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I just, I just consider it just uh, adjustment of a character design, really. Pretty much, know? yeah. Me too. Like they could change arm length, hair length, whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. I feel they'd seeing it in there. But like, you know, in China, it's like it takes a year to get your game approved by like the Chinese government. So you want to like make sure you pass in flying colors because if it takes a year, if it gets not approved because of simple boob size and you have to wait a year to get your game on release, it's like, hmm, what would you cater to? You know, it's like gotta comply with them. So sadly that's just how it works. Well, I'm I'm great that we talked about this for another Mihoyo game because I'm sure when they announce the next Mihoyo game, we're probably gonna say <laughs> be having the same conversations. <laughs> uh, do Do you think Mihoyo will ever like, I don't know, like make something that's like maybe console PC single player first, like like an actual? Never. No, because these make more money. Yeah. Look. They basically stole the entire Trails combat system, and Falcom was barely breaking even. And these guys make thousands of time the, for them. It's not. It's not the Trails combat system, Chow. 
<laughs> highly inspired how's that I, I, no but I mean, I mean like it's not the reason they're making bank right it's not the trail no, no but I'm just saying it's like they, they kind of take a lot of ideas from it it's like the copycats are the one that's getting rich you know that's how I look at it so it's like why that's would they a really cynical way to look at it like why would I switch it's like why would they switch to you know the, the buy buy it buy all buy one and get it all they're never going to do that. They make too much money, and people all care about profit first. So what's I, know, I mean, I, 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 I guess it's kind of cool that Side Games is like making like also like real video games instead of just the mobile gacha ones they've been doing up until this point. So I'll be honest, like I'm buying like a Relink almost just out of like um, to send a message. Respect. Yeah, it's like I, I'm never going to engage with your mobile games, especially after Jagalia Lost went down. But uh, if you make an actual console game, I'll I'll buy it and I'll tell people to buy it because Relink looks dope. What I played a bit at Anime Expo was dope. It's like, yeah. Even the fighting game is dope. You, are you, 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 you going to get Rising, child? Yeah, yeah. I, I need to get the Grand Blue stuff too. Oh, codes. that's right. I'll, of course you're going to fucking get Rising. Of the no, codes. but like yeah. recently in the mobile game, they've been pissing people off straight. Did they you. Did you guys see that they're having Uma Musume like lobby avatars? Yeah, rising? I saw that. Yeah, I saw that news. That's they, funny. They even added um, Lucius as the DLC boss. Uh, he's voiced by Sean Chiplock for the English version. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Cool. Uh, yeah. He was like the hardest boss in in uh, Grand Blue for for a good three years, you know. But now now he's here as the most wanted character at one point. One of the last uh, couple of sort of modern updates for release games is uh, we got one for Cyberpunk and one for Baldur's Gate. So CD Projekt had a what they call like a red stream uh, update uh, in the last week talking about Cyberpunk version 2.1. Uh, so this is basically a update that introduces, I guess, something that was kind of scrapped early in development that people have like people who have been following the game back from like 2013, 2014 era we're interested in and it's to me it doesn't seem like that at all of exciting but i've seen some social media reaction to this that have been really excited but the intro of a metro system like you could like ride the subway across the city i don't know if that's all that exciting but uh, i guess they got it released into the I game i follow the quest designer patrick kernigan i think is his name oh i've I've, I've interviewed him yeah he's cool yeah, um and I, he was just kind of jokingly once they released this update he's like there there it is we released it stop asking for it <laughs> Kind of jokingly, like, <laughs> so. and uh, you know, Josh did most of the work, but I helped a little bit with catching up on all of our like cyberpunk kind of guide content because 2.0 added a lot of weapons and cars, and like now this is gonna have more cars, and we're like, no, <laughs> stop adding cars to the game. Uh, so yeah, this seems like more of a minor update, uh, but clearly, basically. What what they contain within update 2.1 is maybe not that consequential, but it shows that they're going to continue to poke and prod and add and modify the game. You know, no game is ever truly finished nowadays, it feels like. So not as big as a 2.0 or the Phantom Liberty update, but some things that people who have been following the game for a while have been excited for. Um, and then also the CD Projekt announced that the Phantom Liberty expansion has sold over 4 million copies. So still doing very well for them. Yeah. Which four point three million is really impressive considering the fact they're saying it's a twenty percent attach rate, but that's not taking into account the fact that this was current gen only. So are they yep. accounting the attach rate for only 
the current generation version. It doesn't seem like that based off of the numbers we have for the main game sales. So, yeah. Now that you point it out, that is something that you don't normally see. Like on their artwork, they say 4.3 million copies, 20% attach rate. And usually they do report attach rate, but it's not usually quite up as up front and center as it is here. Well, like, oh, that's, that's actually kind of an interesting thing about CD Projekt is that they have their investor relations website and pages and press releases and all that. And then they have their Twitter account that is more just like a public facing version of it. And they do those infographics and whatnot. Um, not just for investors, but clearly for fans too. So, you know, it's just, it's just sort of interesting that they basically take stuff that's usually for like boardrooms and like, here it is for the public, you know, it, and they commercialize it a little bit. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then for, uh, we kind of, we kind of got like a similar update for Baldur's Gate three. They call it patch five where it, it does, it does some usual, like buffing out of some earlier bugs and a few other quality of life things. Uh, but the main thing is that they added like a lot more um, epilogue feature. They say like about three and a half thousand lines of dialogue for like an additional epilogue scene that's supposed to be kind of like taking. I remember when Baldur's Gate 3, when you and I had finished the game, we had said that the, the one of the game's strength wasn't really its story and that it ended kind of abruptly. And they already kind of touched on the ending a little bit already with Carlock and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and now they're adding more epilogue scenes. Uh, like significantly more um, that are supposed to be more comprehensive about like the choices you make and things like that and characters you've either assisted or not assisted. And to me, what like I said, like that's well and good. I'm not really, I'm not really interested enough to like, oh yeah, let me reboot my save yeah, and see what either. the epilogue is. But it does make me wonder. Like Baldur's Gate three was, in most respects, pretty well received, despite people kind of agreeing that that last. It clearly came in very hot and they've especially in act three they've had to like really kind of i i kind of think of like wallace and gromit gromit putting the tracks down as he's on the train yeah. chart uh uh for the last act like they're trying to like they got the game released and now they're trying to do what they you know what they initially envisioned for the ending of the game and i'm trying to th i was just trying to think and i don't have an answer to this like what did larian do right or wrong so that they were able to kind of do this without a lot of scrutiny and i'm not saying they should be scrutinized it's just kind of interesting because i feel like if this was another developer if this was like bethesda i feel like you would have been like really a little bit more critical of it but with larian you're not and i'm, I'm i was just trying to amusing to myself like why that is probably because of the rest of the package was so well put together and it didn't feel like it was shortchanged until the very end i'm not sure but it might that might be there might be an op-ed like floating around in some of those thoughts um because obviously i'm i'm glad that they're still kind of finding weaknesses that they still have the uh, initiative and the drive to to touch up and to kind of more realize what they envisioned it should be. Um, but the game was released, you know, months ago. So it's kind of an interesting uh, little place that they're that they're in. Uh, but I might I might follow uh, some other people and see like what these sort of what these sort of epilogue scenes might consist of and see if they kind of help round out what was one of the kind of the weaker constituents of the game. Though I would argue that Baldur's Gate 3 is a great game kind of story notwithstanding like regardless of how the game starts or ends they, they also addressed why act three had so many slowdown issues for so many people yeah um, and it's a strange reason yeah like it, it was basically the every time you did like a like a, a like a, a sinful act in the, the game i man a reddit post fucking explained this and i can't remember uh, exactly how they explained it, but basically the game took uh kept note of like how many like quote-unquote bad morally bad acts 
uh, or actions you did, and that would like basically clog some sort of like backend on the on the game itself, and it would all come into fruition into like Act Three, where like if you did so many like bad deeds, whether it was like stealing or um or so forth, acts of theft, um the something would happen in the backend in Act Three, which would, uh, would come into fruition, which would clog and slow down performance. So people. let's say if you oh. never did a bad sin, then it would not clog the game. Yeah, the people people who did, did more, who had like a more honorable playthrough had a better performance in Act Three. <laughs> They're like, what's in my machine? Act Three. You know, there's bad. a similar. I was gonna say there's a similar bug in. There's a similar bug in Grand Blue one time in the mobile game, where if you did every single quest of that achievement chart, there would be instant loading for that area. But if you did not, it will check in the game to see if you did all the quests. It'll take like an extra ten seconds to load or something like that. I, I brought this it. up on I brought this up on the podcast before, but Pillars of Eternity Deadfire would slow down the more save files you had. Okay. That, okay. Like, yeah, I, I found the Reddit post. So this this is a statement from Larian at at r slash Baldur's Gate three. Um, the, there there was a fix that had uh, an unintended consequence of cause causing unnoticed thefts and acts of vandalism to remain stuck forever within the uh, "Did anyone see me?" pipeline. And rather than timing out and moving on as it is intended, uh, essentially your DM in a real world world sense constantly thinks about uh, constantly thinks about the acts of theft. And violence the player keeps doing without ever moving on or verbalizing them, I'm mulling on it ad infinitum. These unnoticed and eternally active uh, acts of theft and violence eventually bog down the game. The more a player commits those acts, the more the game is trying to keep that all up to date and in memory, and so the more slowdowns start happening. Essentially, the DM eventually becomes unable to operate, and by act th- act three, this caused all the slowdown issues. Damn. And I thought that was something patched five. And it's probably at its worst in uh, Act Three, not just because the longer that uh, like uh, the game goes on, the more that happens, but also like there's so many variables that already has to account for in Act Three, and I wouldn't be shocked yeah. if that like that already bogged down process just uh, gets exacerbated once you I, reach Baldur's Gate itself. Yeah, that's a that, that's a crazy reason. Like that's that's hilarious. They also introduced an honor mode, which is basically like an Iron Man mode. Uh, and then they also introduced like a lot more custom difficulty settings, which actually uh, kind of um, reminds me about some of the difficulty settings in the Owlcat Pathfinder games, where you could say, like, uh, what is your power versus the enemy? Are, can the enemy critical hit or not? Are there death saving throws or not? So basically, do you need to worry about Revivify scrolls? Uh, can you you can multiply how much co- camping costs? Basically, you can tailor beyond the uh, the initial slate of difficulty modifiers. So those things those things seem pretty neat. And I guess if you are able to beat Honor Mode, uh, you get a golden D twenty. Like they they have a oh. different like graphics that you can put for the nice. for the die that you roll for the de- decision making. Uh, and then also, uh, patch five is going to be the version that is on the disc for the Xbox version of the game. Oh, cool! Uh, we got a couple more uh, little tiny notes here before we go into release dates. Uh, we did get some English story trailers for Like a Dragon: Infinite Wealth. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't watch these because I'm not really interested in the English version, and I've already kind of gotten my taste from I the think, uh, I think demo these are just the same the, trailers uh, they've had before, just yeah. in English. 
Yeah, they're just the same trailers. Okay. Um, just, uh, just, uh, they just revealed that, hey, uh, Daniel Day Kim is voicing Masataka Ibina, and Danny Trejo uh, is voicing Dwight. Mm-hmm. For the game. Very, very talented, stellar uh, actors. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of listed some of the uh, previous games uh, they worked on. Like Daniel Day Kim is obviously most notable for his uh, role as Johnny Gat in Saints Row. Mm-hmm. And then, and they, and also then uh, they also mentioned in the in like the email that we got for the for this is that the, the like a dragon guy den English dub update uh, will be coming in December sometime. And then I don't think I stated this on the podcast. I stated it after we recorded in early November. Um, like a dragon guy den, that last scene you would you would teased it. It is something. I uh, I cried. I'll mm. keep it like that. Mm. It's, <laughs> it's 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 good and also very sad. But good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for uh, Infinite Wealth. Yeah. So that's that's the, basically the first the first game in 2024 that I have kind of like day one mindset for circled on my calendar. Uh, a new DLC for uh, a game that came out earlier in April that is War Tales. Uh, so that is one that both Josh and I have took taken different opportunities to speak to in the first half of the year. They've announced their Pirates of Balerion DLC, which is adds a new region, adds seafaring, and adds duels. Um, if you remember or listen to our podcast when we talk about War Tales, it's kind of a non-linear game where the way the game structure is divided is through like different continents or different areas. Like each quote-unquote chapter of the game is going to a different area of the map, and learning about that local area is kind of uh, political strife and um, the source of. Uh, combat encounters that you encounter there, et cetera, et cetera. So this seems like a very kind of standard sort of, here's a new area if you grab this DLC, which is coming on December 14th. I don't know if we've gotten a price for the DLC. The DLC is a paid DLC, but it comes with a free update that does some more quality of life features alongside. We see a lot of developers do this, where they'll pair a free update alongside the paid DLC. I yeah. enjoyed War Tales a fair bit, but I I'm not really eager. Like I put like a hundred hours into it, and I'm not really eager to go back to just to see a uh, a new region. Yeah, I, I, but, th- I think but it's cool it, that they're supporting it. Yeah, it's really cool because like it's it's definitely one of those like games that can feel endless, and you can kind of keep on building and building and building your party like to however fucking mm-hmm. big you want it to be. So this is like a, a pretty cool addition, just like the expanded like you know you have naval battles now, um, and all that sort of stuff, but. It is definitely one of those games, like, it can feel, if you're trying to marathon or, like, you're not, like, spacing it out, it can feel pretty, like, I guess tiresome, I guess, almost, because there's so much to do in that game, and it feels, but it feels like it takes a long time to do them. And then uh, one thing that I struggled with, clearly not a lot, because I played it through to the end, but Mm -hmm. some of the regions didn't feel too distinct from one another. Mm -hmm. Like, in one region, the main conflict was like a plague so you're fighting a lot of like diseased people and creatures and then in another region the main conflict is a cult so instead of being like diseased creatures or hooded figures you know what i mean it's like oh i guess that's different but it didn't feel too different so this one being more seafaring and adding that whole um, element to it might actually feel a little bit more different yeah but i'm kind of at the point where i'm like i got my fill i really enjoyed the base game but i don't really see a lot of incentive to go through with my max level party and and (laughs) Turn this out or whatever. I will say though, I remember talking about this on the podcast, but uh, back in April or so. But the original balancing of the EXP was so strange. You would EXP to level like this is one of those games 
where there's not it levels are um there's they're few and far between i think the max level was it might have been 12 again in this game too though i might be confusing that with Baldur's gate but if i remember right you get to level six pretty damn fast and then it was an absolute slog to get to level seven for some reason just the way that they did the math it just completely slowed down and the way the best way to get exp was not to fight level six creatures it was to fight level one creatures because you could mop the floor with them much quicker and they would barely give you any reduced exp that was my main um i know they've had a lot of free updates since then where they've probably really smoothed out the leveling curve if i was playing this game for the first time starting in like 2024 yeah sure i would definitely tackle the clc alongside of it because it does really seem like it kind of changes up uh, the kind of the flavor of the game a little bit I think it is pretty weird that that someone did point out in uh, social media that like this this launch comes December fourteenth for PC on like on Steam and GOG uh, first, and then it'll come to Switch, Xbox, and PC Game Pass versions like next sometime next year. It's like it's 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 distinguishing between like the PC releases on Steam and GOG versus PC Game Pass. It's like I guess because it has to be tied to the Xbox ecosystem. Uh, well, there, there's been some places where it's not quite explicit, but you still need to keep track of it. Like, well, the Nier Automata, I remember that was kind of a weird thing where a different version of the port released on Windows PC and then all, some of those changes got kind of backported. Into oh, the yeah. yeah. And, and then right. um, the, a much lower profile game. But uh, I played that isometric cyberpunk game, uh, Ascent something. What was it? I'm, Ascent? I'm blanking on it. The, I think it's called Oh, was it just called The Ascent? Where I played, I had Game Pass at the time, so I played the Game Pass version, but apparently the Game Pass version just had way more performance issues that the Steam version didn't have, even though they were supposed to be kind of, you know, they were described being like just the same. It's just the PC version of the game, but one was had more, you know, under the hood work done than the other. So that's always something that I bet is just going to be kind of a recurring thing going forward, um, unless Microsoft makes some big changes to how they deliver stuff on their PC platform. Usually it ends up being like minor inconsequential, but sometimes like this, it ends up uh, being a little bit more significant. I remember when I played Jassant just uh, last month, uh, or was it in October? Either way, when I played that recently, uh, there was issues with the Game Pass version where like the Steam version had DLSS, the Game Pass version didn't, and it seemed to have other bugs. And it's like something that just... It... Yeah, sometimes Game Pass releases are just kind of fucked. Yeah. Mm, yep, unfortunately. Interesting. Okay. We got another trailer for a RPG coming out uh, next summer, a side-scroller called Tsurugihime. This was shown during the Indie Live Expo Winter Showcase. Uh, I'd like to point back, out that that, uh, that title, I believe, just means Sword Princess. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh by uh Fahrenheit two thirteen, which is a new studio. But the 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 staff of this was uh, pretty interesting when they announced it. This was by um the director is Yosuke Shiokawa. He was the first director on Fate Grand Order. Um, no longer is the director on that, and separated from the Lightworks uh, some time back. Um, also worked on Kingdom Hearts and the City of Final Fantasy. Uh, character de- uh, design is by Kuroboshi Kohaku, who's done Kino's Journey and Sword Art Online Alternative, Gun Gill Online. And then, of course... And Summon Knight. Uh, and Summon Knight. I had to point that out because that's like the only one of those things I'm familiar with. Thank you. <laughs> and of course, a composer that a lot of uh, diehard RPG fans know, Takeharu Ishimoto. Uh, most well-known for, for the World Ends With You series. 
of course, also contributed to Kingdom Hearts and yeah. Final Fantasy type. He's kind of one of those sneaky composers who does a lot of Kingdom Hearts stuff that Shimamura gets credit for. But like, no, Ishimoto has done a lot too. So, yeah. So, so I've been kind of keeping an eye on the development of Tsurugi Hime. Uh, seems like a really, really cool debut project from this new uh, studio uh, from the from the staff there. Um, it's uh, basically uh, obviously very action combat heavy focused and. A lot of it is almost like crafting like your own move set uh, and strings, uh, depending on like uh, the the weapon type that. You so they're they're going for a definitely uh, if you're a fan of like very fast frantic action combat, almost Devil May Cry esque, uh, but in a a two D side scroller. Uh, this might be one you might want to look out for. I'm definitely keeping an eye on. It. So and and also the trailer has has sort of like bullet hell elements, like uh, some bosses just spew out a ton of bullets on the screen. <laughs> And we'll just kind of keep going through uh, for the rest of the podcast, just releases in chronological order uh, for, our, for the rest of 2023 and into 2024. Uh, so we already kind of teased this one. Final Fantasy Ever Crisis is coming out in a few days uh, as, the day of, as of the time of recording. It'll be coming out on Steam on December 7th. Uh, we do have, at the end of the year, on New Year's Eve, a Fate Project New Year's TV special. And I think Josh, you mused that this is might might be where we see DLC for Fate Samurai Remnant. Yeah, we know the DLC yeah. coming. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so the, we don't probably just show like what that DLC consists of. This, I think, I think last year's Fate project at the end of it, that's when they actually announced Fate Samurai Remnant for yes, the first time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you know, they, they this is all, this is also usually a program where they announce new Fate games in general out of nowhere. On top of like your usual fake grand order up north, so you know, always crossing my fingers for hey, you know, I, I'm always done for a new fate game. Why not? Uh, we have an announcement that Playism will publish Momodora Moonlit Farewell on PC on January 11th. So, this was one that Adam, you I think you just put up maybe as we were recording. So I don't know the background of this one. Basically, here. it looks so like we haven't covered it. Momodora is a side scroller series. It's RPG-ish. You might, you could argue it's not, um, but there's like HP and stats. But uh, Momodora is a game series by Bomb Service, and it's one of those series where like no one really knew about the first two Momodora games, or maybe even the first three. And then like Reverie Under the Moonlight was like a prequel that kind of exploded in that indie PC game sphere that is pretty popular. Um, and then this game is actually like a follow-up to Momodora 3, which even the creator was like, now I know a lot of you aren't really actually familiar with Momodora 3 because you played the other game and not that one, but don't worry, you can play this uh, without prior knowledge. Um, but he calls this the culmination of the Momodora series. So uh, I, I still feel kind of bad for the dev because I remember originally he was making a Momodora in 3D and then people were so angry that it wasn't a 2D side-scroller that he basically canceled it, and then Minoria was made as yeah. the next game. So it's like, I feel like... I understand why they wouldn't want to um, make another like 3D attempt, because you don't know how the fan base is going to react, especially after the last time it went down. But it's like, it, it, it sucks. It's like... You you gave them another two D side scroller. You you probably shouldn't have because you're the developer. Make what you fucking want to, 
but it's like, I don't know. It's like, I would have, I would have been interested to see what that project could have been. And now that they're making another moment where it's like, it's like, sure. I'll, I'll play this. And I'm sure it'll be great. Cause like I played three, I played Reverend, I played uh, the, what was it? Reverie under the moonlight. Yeah. I think. And yeah. Then Minoria. Did you play that? And, I, and all of the, yeah. And all of those were good. So I'm sure this will be good, but it's also like, man, it's like, there's not many 3d Metroidvanias. I would have been interested to see what it would have felt like. It's also, so. this isn't here or there, but like this game was actually originally announced in January, 2022. So almost two years ago. And I'm sure there's been like, little updates here and there from the developer if you like follow him directly but they hadn't really like plays them the publisher hadn't really said anything since i actually forgot when i saw this trailer for this game for a split second i'm like oh they announced a new momodora and then i was like wait a minute this was actually announced already i just forgot because it was so long ago um yeah. so yeah it's tough like i really like reverie under the moonlight as well so i'll definitely check out this new momodora but um it's so difficult to kind of make this like the the overall switch to like uh, a new dimension especially when you know 95 100 percent of your install base uh uh you know kind of expects a new thing it's 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 kind of like the risk that um the de- the developers risk of uh, risk of rain had to yeah do yeah and, one to two and and, and like, i remember that, that, really, that really worked out well in their yeah favor. I remember that like Hapu actually got a lot of pushback against Risk mm-hmm. of Rain 2 when it was in yeah. early development because people, when they looked at the early footage, were like, oh, this isn't Risk of Rain. It's going to suck. And then it came out and like, whoops, <laughs> Risk of Rain 2 is the best game <laughs> that they've uh, made. So it's like. And sort of similarly, it's not like in the same series, but actually a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the developer Massive Damage. They're the ones who released uh, Star Renegades. And I mm-hmm. like that game, especially right. how it looked. And then, like, their new game is, like, a 3D game. And just kind of my gut reaction is, is oh, I, I like the 2D pixel art style. Right. Like, you know, right. I'm kind of, I'm a little bit upset that you're doing just, like, a 3D sort of more normal looking game now. Yeah, yeah but I imagine they did, like, a Star Renegades, except it wasn't sci-fi. It's, like, a totally new set. It's, like, maybe a, a, a medieval fantasy version of Star Renegades, you know? Their new game is Pharaoh of the Sundered Tribes. And I guess I'll like keep an eye on it, but it's just like, man, I really liked how Star Renegade looked. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So it's it's so difficult. I can't I can't I can't fault the developer for feeling that way. So that was again uh Momodora, Momodora Moonlight Farewell on January eleventh for PC. We already talked about in March the Legend Legend of Legacy HD remastered. A couple delays going into 2024. Uh, Demon School, we've covered this game a handful of times. This is the indie Persona 1 and 2-like sort of game. It's, it, uh, it's it was, like Persona was, 1 and 2 stylish, but the battle system is more like tactical grid. So I'm just, hedging, point, I'm just yeah. hedging you a bit. People are like, no, it's not like Persona. I guess we know. It's just got some yeah. inspiration. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's definitely more of like into the breach uh, game, mm-hmm. like systems-wise. Um, than than those though like the perspective of it at first definitely looks like mm-hmm. so this was uh slated for 2023 and we're kind of like yeah we're running out of time in 2023 and then they've yeah. announced that they're uh going to be um delaying it to 2024 but they do they did also reveal like kind of a new uh gameplay focus trailer alongside the delay announcement that talks about the tactical battle system that you that you guys brought up so still looks really neat um still coming out on switch basically last gen this gen switch pc so all the things. Yeah, take your time. You know, um, it, it looks like a very promising game. I definitely want to check out full release of. 
Um, Destiny 2, The Final Shape, it got its release date moved to June 2024. I don't really have any other insight of this one. Uh, oh okay. It's supposed, okay. supposed to be a larger expansion for their game or it something? Is, trying to make it, back it's something. the Kingdom Hearts 3 of uh, Destiny 2. The Kingdom Hearts three of Destiny. So, so Destiny had a bunch of. So Destiny had a bunch of, dare I say, spinoffs before like Kingdom Hearts fans gank me. Destiny had a bunch of spinoffs, and then they finally had a new. It's the conclusion. Okay. It's the conclusion of the, uh, the uh, story arc that like Destiny has been going at for like, oh god, over a decade now. Uh, the okay. problem is, and there's numerous. Well, not over a decade, oh. almost a decade now. Um, how do I put this? Uh, Bungie has officially destroyed any goodwill they had left. Like it was bad enough. Like to put in perspective, after the Witch Queen, the fan base was feeling really good. Lightfall, a lot of people were excited for Lightfall. It ha- it broke the peak concurrent numbers for Destiny Two on Steam at Lightfall's launch, Lightfall was such a bomb in public perception and the and the way that Bungie has handled it afterwards have been so bad up and up until like the most recent thing where they basically just fired a bunch of their staff in the most tone deaf possible way. It's like the player numbers are the lowest they've ever been. Public perception is the lowest it's ever been. Just this week, they released a starter pack, which crossed the line for a lot of folks in the community where it's like, oh, you're selling these exotic weapons. What the fuck? And basically, oh, so it's, it's like it's like a like borderline pay to win. Uh, or even though it's like it's this guy's a starter pack, you're still getting some of the best really good weapons. Like, I, I yeah, it's it's one of those things where like the biggest problem that Destiny has had for a long time is it's fucking impossible to get into as a new player unless you have other people to kind of like guide you through it mm-hmm. and then you also have the obvious like what's the first thing you think of destiny 2 if you're not a current destiny 2 player you think about the fact that they removed content that people paid for multiple yep. times so it's like a lot of folks that do play destiny or still play destiny or play destiny until light falls like fallout they would say well it was necessary. The game's better than it's ever been. And maybe that's true, but the stink was always there. So it was harder to get new players into it. And now that they've just torpedoed the remaining goodwill from the hardcore fan base, it's in a death spiral right now. So the hope is that like the final shape will be good, but like the prevailing thought I'm seeing from a lot of destiny fans is, is that, Okay. Hopefully this is good, so I can fi- I can stop playing Destiny two after I finish the story. And you don't want to see that for a live service game, especially when Marathon's coming out, because like all of the games as a service stuff that like Sony's been working on, like no, no good has been coming out of like the rumor mill from from those projects. Yeah, even Mar- yeah, Marathon is just like people are just like, man, this is not the Marathon that you first pitched, and it just it being like an extraction shooter. Now it's like. Fuck, yeah <laughs> it's it's in even, a... even, even for people who like who who like uh, who have play tested it internally they're like this this thing isn't good right now. to put in perspective oh and 
to put in perspective, and I fully understand this is an RPG podcast, and not everyone listening is going to get just how dire this uh, comparison is. Uh, 343 is currently in a really good situation now with Halo Infinite. People are happy with the state of Halo Infinite. People are happy with Forge. People are happy with the uh, with the current season and the content and the content pipeline and how the game feels to play. Uh Juxtapose that with how people feel with uh, Bungie right now. And it's like, if you had said that Halo Infinite is in a more positive state than Destiny 2 even a year ago, people would have called you insane. Yeah, that's, just, that's kind of... Truly an Uno card reverse moment. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's kind of like the state of these things. It's a roller coaster, man. It's uh, there'll be good times, there'll be bad times, and when it gets, and sometimes there'll be just drunken dire times. I don't know. We'll we'll see how this goes, but yeah, Bungie is just. It doesn't look very promising for Bungie, and who knows how they're gonna turn it around. So the next update is for Flintlock: The Siege of Dawn. So we learned. Um, earlier this year in June that it was going to be delayed to 2024 and at that time we uh, just got a press release uh, announcing that delays and now this week it looks like Josh you wrote this news post that they've just dialed in on a summer window for 2024 and then in addition they've given a new gameplay trailer alongside yeah it's part of the PC gaming show uh the mm-hmm. event this week it's like hey a new trailer and then they locked they just showed the summer 2024 yeah the interesting thing is um th- I, I guess they've also canceled the playstation 4 and xbox one versions because previously it was announced for those platforms but now in the new press release and the end of the trailer it only did list ps5 xbox series and pc no more ps4 and xbox one i'm hmm. presumably i mean, I mean we're, we're we're going into what year four when did ps5 come out yeah, I mean it's not it's not it's not a big surprise. It's just like, but they just haven't come out and said it officially. It's just like, yeah, this is what I surmise it's just based, based on, on the logo that show up. Yeah. yeah, and and the press release uh, oh, yeah. that they showed that they sent us only listed those platforms. So, you know, okay, <laughs> I guess. Anyways, this game is like this game is an action RPG. Uh, this character, I don't know her name. It's like a Norvanic. female character. Sorry, Norvanic. Norvanic, she wields like an axe and a flintlock gun, which of course she does. It's the name of the game. Um, it's from a New Zealand developer. I will probably play this. I'm always looking for like these mid-budget, mid-tier Western games and wondering if I can find one that's like excellent. Still looking. Sometimes I do. When's the last time we had one that was excellent? I don't know. <laughs> it's been a while. Elex <laughs> 1 had promise. <laughs> and then Elex 2 was, sorry, it was not good at all. I always that hate was sounding cool. so dogmatic. Wasn't that the game you called the peak of Eurojank? Yeah. And this then can't, uh, this, can't, this, this one can't be Eurojank, though, because it's New Zealand. Oh, oh my god. The only, the only, my, only memory of, my, my only memory of Elix 2 is I'll tuning into Brian's stream and the, 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 the you died uh, screen whenever he died. And it was like the most just basic simple like you died three it's like boom you died okay <laughs> it's like it's like a, it's like a, it's like a sans serif white font i believe and it's like you yeah. died. <laughs> i loved it I was like, this and this real. does remind me of atlas fallen which atlas fallen was close to being 
like it, it could have been good if it had done a, a couple of things better, but it was it didn't quite reach that bar. Yeah, so that's I think what, Atlas that's Fallen is worse than both Surge games. So it's kind of like going in the wrong direction here. I mean, it's something different. At least they tried something yeah, different. Very, it is but, different. So, but yeah. So but what about uh? Has anyone here played the um the New Lords of the Fallen yet? Uh, I know James it's asking us to do it. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know how small that team was, but that that game was received pretty damn well. Yeah, so maybe that. Well, yeah, maybe they're updating I, 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 it a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah, every time I boot up my PS5, I keep getting patches, and it's like it's slowing me down. It's, it's one of those games that like it, it launched like in a pretty uh, like not not the best state, but then they really made a commitment like to updating it to be the best that it can be. They have this whole roadmap already of like all the improvements and additions they're gonna make, um, and addressing like you know like some of like the more things that like a lot of the fan uh, or the player base had issues with like the enemy density example so it's definitely one of those games like uh, like it's launched in a somewhat solid state but then they're, they're trying to make good on like and like it's the final a good state thing it's a good yeah. thing i uh, mean most, most video games once they release it they just don't give a shit about it anymore so it's great that they're going back to support and make it better you know i mean yeah I, I, like it also definitely is uh, of course like a, a big thank you to like the people that like uh the the, the sales that it got as well it's like hey thank you so much for supporting us and of course, they're definitely more incentivized to like make it better because, you know, it sold very, very well as their debut game. And, and, and the, once again, this is like there's a game that's like their their debut title was a triple A project, and it's like that's. You're talking, you're talking about Lords of the Fallen. Yes. Yeah. 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 I pulled up their LinkedIn page. Yeah. Uh, some of this we talked about during the announcement, but I had never gone back to review it since October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hexwork based in uh, Spain. And it looks like based on LinkedIn between like 16, 80 employees. So pretty much exactly what we're looking for. Kind of like one of those like and founded in 2020. So basically pretty new on the scene, came out of the game. And, 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 and a pretty, that, that's a pretty like compared to like other AAA titles, like that's a pretty short development cycle too. Mm-hmm. That one might be on my list for trying to get that. I will definitely not, unfortunately, have a chance to play that before the game of your podcast, but We'll kind of see, you know, before Infinite Wealth, making that like a mid-January game if I can make mm-hmm. time for it. And then, and then of course, though, what got us on this tangent in the first place, Flintlock Siege of Dawn, Summer 2024, uh, new gameplay trailer. And then uh, Josh teased us on this earlier, but Dissidia, Final Fantasy, Opera, Omnia will be shut down, um, both the Japanese and Global Edition, in February 2024. It launched, it looks like, in 2017-2018. Yeah, I think the lasting legacy of uh, Opera Omnia, honestly, is it had so many like characters, both popular and niche. Yeah, we all um, love those characters that they added from Final Fantasy XII Revenant Wings. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, it, I, don't I, even think... re- I remember they added the character. I can't even remember their name. Yeah, I'm going to put this voice <laughs> channel chat. Uh, it's basically all the characters that like I think they were added to Opera Omnia. Just just take a look at this list of like just the amount of like niche characters they they, they added to, to this game. It's it's pretty nuts. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it was it was a cool project for that like having the big big FF crossover uh, in a in a capacity that was never done been done before. Like more than uh, more so than like the PSP Dissidia games, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, uh, unfortunately, will not be able to like reach like. You know, it won't add any FF16 characters. Clive will not make it to Opera Omni uh, uh, before it shuts down. So, uh, and I had a lot of friends that like really 
loved Obrovnia. It was a very, it was a very uh, friendly sort of game. To, like you didn't have to spend much on it, if at all. Like a lot of a lot of players never spent a cent on this game, which is probably why you know one of the contributing factors why China because maybe it's a bit too generous. Um, but it had a good run. You know, seven years as as Chow said. Not bad, and we'll see where where they if they're gonna ever make another Dissidia project, you know. Because outside of this, the only Dis- other Dissidia games were the original Dissidia Final Fantasy game on PSP. Then you had the Zero One Two Duodecim sequel. Then you had the arcade game for Japanese arcades, and then the home release of the arcade game was like Dissidia NT. So I would like to see more Dissidia games. Preferably not uh, like the coolest thing. They could do is like make an offline version of Opera Omnia, just just like how mm-hmm. they did Mega Man X Dive, just like just one price you pay into it and you get all the content that it ever released. With I, I would do that cool. for any Dead Gotcha game. You know? yeah. I feel like they made all these assets and you know just poof, and at the end of certain, it's all gone. Just kind of waste, you know. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things, like let's just say Dragalia Lost, even though it's dead now, uh, that you know that. Game still has a pretty decent story, and the soundtrack is fire. Oh, dude, I fucking love the Dragalia soundtrack so much. It's like, how are we gonna get the soundtrack now? It's like, yeah, there's, no... there's a lot of good songs that came out for it. Yeah, so like, yeah, if they ever did like a like a like a, a Dragalia Lost offline release that you paid for one time to get all the content that it released with, I'd I'd be there day one. Like, I I I bought Mega Man X Dive offline, and um, I I really like you know what they did with that game for the offline version. Like that's really cool. You get I can forever immortalize like Halloween Sigma. <laughs> Hell yeah. This you is know? not a virus anymore, is it? <laughs> I mean, I guess not. <laughs> In some ways, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish that, that game like sets a precedent for that. I would love to see more or less like okay, your game reached end of service. Please make it accessible in some way, shape, or form. Do it in the way that Mega Man X Dive did it, and not the way that uh, Yuki Yuna as a hero did it. Because what Yuki Yuna as a hero did it is like almost like a scam. It's like they the home release of that is basically I think like six volumes, or, or it's like it's like more than three volumes. It's like that's like sixty dollars each, and it's basically just like the visual novel uh, bits of the uh, Yuki Yuki Yuna as a hero for the mobile release it's not none of the gameplay only the visual novel story parts which is fine but that pricing model of like of of separate of separate releases that are like 60 dollars each it's like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) that's still asking a little bit too much that's a lot that's a lot Uh, (laughs) i I forgot was that the castlevania gotcha game that turned into single player did that have That's, uh, that's apple arcade uh now the, and that, that that you didn't pay for anything in that. There's just Apple Arcade released. Like you still, it's it still had like the gotcha thing. I don't, but it, you but you still gain gain currency to expand a gotcha. But you can still, but you didn't have to pay any money for it. It's just the Apple Arcade subscription. Hmm. And it, but it also had like dailies and weeklies to get more of that currency. But you you couldn't buy that currency at all. You just had to like play it as a live service game without any of the monetization life service game hat. So let's just say if there's a unit, you can't whale your way to get it, I guess. I guess you have to get like earn your earn your way through so you have to keep on playing and playing until you eventually earn it, I think. If I remember correctly. I don't remember too much. It's it's like it, that that still isn't a great solution, right? Because it feels like you're 
it, yeah, it feels like it feels like you're being gated off of like arbitrarily. Um, yeah, just pull the Mega Man solution. That's the one yeah. all button. I guess. It, yeah, yeah. It feels like the Mega Man solution is like kind of like the best solution to be honest, because you're paying uh, one price and you're getting all the content and you play pay for it. If you want to like get the characters in it, they give you as you progress through like the main storyline, they give you like an abundance of like that currency to like buy them from the in-game store. That's all in-game currency only. I th- I think that's a decent solution. I got lost on this tangent. Well, what's your favorite Opera Omnia character? Was it, was it Raijin from FF8? Is that your favorite Opera Omnia oh, character? God, not the clowns from FF8. <laughs> hey, man, they were so cool. Fusion? Hell yeah. Cypher? Wait, me, so cool. Let me pick one character from this list. Uh-huh. Uh, Kais from uh, Crystal Bears. There you go. <laughs> Jill and the bot. Everyone loves Jill. Everyone the person who every, every, everyone thought was going to have a bigger role, and then she didn't. Nope. You know what? I, I'm a Jill fan. I've, I've decided yeah. right now I'm a Jill But yep, that's the last news headline of the last regular Tetracast of 2023. So we've made it. And I think this is a really good episode. So I think we got to cover a lot of ground, uh, both in terms of games we've played, in terms of site side stuff, in terms of looking forward to 2024. Of course, we'll get a lot more of that by design um, next week. So we're recording this on the second. As normal, we'll get this podcast up hopefully uh, either by the end of today or early on Sunday on the third. That's um, uh, Western Hemisphere. And then on next week, we will be recording the Game of the Year podcast, but then that is paired with a lot of written features, etc. So we will likely take the week of the 16th off so that we can focus on those. And we'll reconvene, it looks like, likely on January 6th is the first recording date of 2024, likely, that we'll be doing uh, a regular episode. So that would be, of course, catching up like... Like Josh said, on we probably won't be able to hit every headline, and by that point, a lot of those will kind of be old news anyway. But we'll recap any of the big uh, outcomes of things like the Game Awards or anything else that comes out in December, et cetera, and talk about some of the December releases uh, like Warhammer Rogue Trader potentially or uh, Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince. So we're not not recording a podcast. We're not recording a podcast two days before Christmas or New Year's Eve or. Oh no! I, I just skip those. No, uh, I'll call in on my phone on Discord and be like, "Hello, <laughs> terrible audio. We're um, eating ham. Yeah, I'm opening but, presents." <laughs> but once again, yeah, to all our listeners, um, thank you once again. Thank you for choosing our uh, podcast to be the one that one of the ones that you listen to, if not the only one that you listen to. Um, we're all incredibly grateful for that, and you know, hopefully, we can keep on uh, keep this going. Uh, for as long as we can. Uh, mm-hmm. Until then, we'll see you, you know, the, the next year, pretty much. And so, happy holidays from all of us. Have a safe one. Yeah, so if you can't listen to the podcast, what you should do is you should follow us on Twitter uh, or x, uh, x.com slash RPG site, uh, Facebook, RPG site, discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, go to our webpage, comment on the articles at rpgsite.net. And then, of course, rate us uh, wherever you listen to us, whether it's Spotify, whether it's on the podcast post itself, uh, Google Podcasts for as long as that's still around, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we will be recording the podcast more uh, next week for the game of the year. We're excited to 
figure out because we don't know the results of that. Even at the time we start recording it, we won't know the results. So I'll be eager to see exactly where we end up with all the end of the game of the year stuff and uh, publishing that uh, at the start of the year. Um, so yeah, have a good holiday season. Have a good winter holiday. Uh, hopefully, get a nice break off school or work, or if not, hopefully, have some nice time to play a few good a few good games. Uh, and we will be we'll catch up back with you in January. So again, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe, take care. We'll talk to y'all later. A year level five once more.